When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. Got a very busy show today. Lots coming up. Kind of taking advantage of the off week for the Winnipeg Jets to uh, both talk some NHL and Jets at the break. John Mattis of the score has got an interesting piece about potential NHL expansion, pros and cons of that. We'll get into that and his thoughts on uh, the league at the break. Um, and we'll also welcome in Brandon Rewicki for uh, his thoughts on a number of hockey-related topics and, of course, the upcoming Super Bowl matchup. Uh, but we're really looking forward to bringing in the new manager of the Gold Eyes, Logan, Watk- Logan Watkins. Um, you know, 34 years old, former major leaguer, um, We've been waiting to do this and figured this is a perfect week to get Logan on the program. So we're going to have that for you. And uh, another visit with one of our friends from Sport Manitoba with It Takes a Community to Play. But listen, how's everybody feeling today? And I know people in the chat were thinking that I was maybe going to roll out the fur coat today. Unfortunately, it was short notice. My uh, my fur coats are all at the cleaners right now, so I couldn't pull it out. But Chris Streveler is back in blue and gold Bomber fans are fired up, as they should be. We'll talk about that signing, the significance of it, as well as the running back market right out of the gate with Michael Remus coming up right away. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the Strebler news sort of top billing today on the program. Uh, but an interesting night. couple big-time face plants by teams in the wildcard race in the Western Conference going into the break. We'll talk about that and more. Um, but again, four guests coming up. So, well, we got an action-packed show. Great to see everybody here. Shout out to everybody in chat. Hit that thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Thanks and welcome to the new subscribers as well. Just uh, got a few more to get us up to 10.7, creeping closer to 11,000. Maybe we can do that in the next month or so before our third anniversary on the 8th of March which uh, is also kind of a big day in the league as well. But um, listen, just before we get into it today, uh, a huge thanks to the sponsors that make this program happen each and every day. The gang at Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, the Winnipeg Jets, Little Brown Jug, Royal Sports, Modern Man Barbershop, Manitoba Battery, Canadian Club Whiskey, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Sport Manitoba, Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, and of course we'll get to a why not question of the day for not Autocorp over at Waverly and McGilvery. Michael Remus, get in here. How about that news from the Bombers? And by the way, I mean, when we saw the team tease the news earlier this morning with a fur coat and a cowboy hat in the Bomber locker room, everybody knew what was happening, but uh, the deal is done and Strev- the Strevolution is back in the peg. We had heard rumors for a while uh, that this was happening, and they put out the tweet today. Let's give the Bombers 
some props. They just wrote soon at 9.59 p.m. The fur coat and the cowboy hat tweet. Everyone knew it's happening. Just didn't know how soon. Like, what's soon? I'm like, are we going to find out tomorrow? But they didn't hold us uh, waiting for much longer. Darren Cameron and the Bombers making it official. It must have been like half hour later or something. So exciting stuff. And then Jeff Hamilton reporting. I think it was, uh, I can't switch screens, 150,000, uh, sorry, 120,000 plus incentives. They did put in the release that they signed quarterback Chris Traveler. If you thought he was going to play running back or something, we can talk about how he's going to be used in the offense. But just, you know, very exciting that he's coming back. We've been following him, you know, his journey to the NFL the last couple of years. And uh, here he is back in Winnipeg. And, Jeff also notes, and he said it on this show, that the belief is he can make money off the field given his local celebrity status. I don't know. I'm kind of curious what kind of opportunities are here for that, but uh, pretty cool that he's coming uh, back to Winnipeg. Yeah, this is awesome news. I mean, you know, the the team traded Drew Brown. They knew he'd be gone. Drew Brown earned a contract. Um, worthy of a guy that will be challenging and potentially being a starter for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, but to get Strev back at 120 a year is such a big win on so many levels. Like, listen, first and foremost, the dude is so popular in this city. Um, it's going to be a huge hit with the fans. You know what a beloved teammate he was within that group, many of whom are still here from the 2019 championship team. He will be welcome back with open arms. And you know who I think might be the most excited about this all, Reem, is Buck Pierce. Because Chris Straveler is such a unicorn in that he allows, even in a quote-unquote backup quarterback role, um, he has such a unique skill set that he will be able to allow the Bombers to dominate on short yardage, as they've done for a number of years behind that great offensive line but also put in Streveler packages that I'm sure will be used probably every game he'll get in for some time. Maybe take a little bit of a load off Zach Caleros. But it's also particularly important, if you ask me, because of the uncertainty of Brady Oliveira's future and what happens to the running back position with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, you know, I should pull this up because Derek Taylor popped this up a little bit earlier on today. Um, we all know about the uh, about Streveler and how he is running the football. Um, DT had okay, so he said he, he was he's a fraction behind William Stanback as the most effective runner in 2019. Now uh, there's a, a value, and I'm not sure exactly how this is calculated. To be honest with you, these are some big numbers from uh, the big brains of the analytics world. But in 2019, Streveler carried the ball 75 times, had a value per rush of 0.7 per, and was 47% above average. And again, that's adjusted for down and distance. Um, With the uncertainty of the running back position, I think we all have to be prepared that Brady Oliveira might not be back. I think we all hope that he's back, and I think that I certainly think that what we just said about Strev with his ability to make some additional money uh, endorsement-wise, appearances, all of that in Winnipeg is greater than it would be elsewhere. 
for Brady Oliveira, I would say the exact same thing. Outside of maybe Saskatchewan, and I don't even want to bring up the idea or the concept of Brady Oliveira signing with the Riders, but I will tell you that opposed to the other seven markets, if Brady did sign with Saskatchewan, he would be welcomed as a hero in that community, kind of them getting one over on the rival Bombers. Um, and I think there'd be plenty of endorsements for there uh, for him uh, there as well. Um, but, Rima, what do you think this does like to the Bombers' situation at running back? Does it, does it diminish their need to bring back a Brady Oliveira when you have a guy like Streveler, although technically not a running back, a guy that can be so effective in the running game, moving the football, moving the chains, and keeping it on the field. And I guess the other second part of that is just a running back market in general with Brady hoping for big bucks. Uh, but Stanback, Carey, Ouellette, I'm missing one, uh, all going to free agency right now. And, you know, a surplus of top-level running back talent available on the free agent market, apparently. Yeah, before I get into that, I'll just read this tweet from Dave Naylor. It says, what opened the door for Strevler to return to the Bombers is no CFL team was willing to offer him starter money, which surprised Naylor, didn't shock him. Uh, Naylor says he'll have a role in the offense young enough to perhaps inherit the number one job someday. And I think maybe, you you know, we've seen running back the last couple of years, teams, at least in the, you know, the NFL are opting to go cheap. You know, it's kind of a... You know, running backs have taken an exception to this, but it's kind of a replaceable position where a lot of it depends on your O-line, and there's a lot of good running backs in there where you can plug in the backup sometimes, and they can be uh, just as good. And, you know, giving your backup quarterback $120,000, um, I think he's going to be a guy they use in short yardage, and maybe you're looking for a different type of running back. Now, Brady was kind of the bruiser in between the tackles guy, though he showed he was pretty good in the receiving game, and and could get outside as well, but maybe they look for you know a uh, running back to complement Strevler up the middle. I'm I'm curious how much they will use him. Will they use him you know short yardage because they were the best in short yardage with Prukop. It was automatic. And I, will they use him throwing? How, like how much throwing is he going to do? How much running outside of of you know short yardage and you know the short yardage third down? Uh, there's way, way a, more than in the past. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Like BA. With a, uh, you know, I love you, B.A., but this is a terrible take. Uh, of course, has he's a backup QB who doesn't play running back. He has nothing to do with RB. I totally disagree. When you have a Chris Strebler and you can put him in in a rushing, in a rushing package <clears throat> with designed runs, mm-hmm. um, with a player that can do that, do what he does that we've seen before. I just rolled out the effectiveness of Strebler running the ball when he was last here that does give you the ability to not lean on a running back as much. Now, listen, if you ask me what I want, it would be a backfield that has Brady Oliveira in it. Um, And can you imagine, you know, the options, the running options, if you had Strebler in with Brady in the backfield? Um, I I think Buck Pierce is pretty excited about adding some plenty of new wrinkles into it. But, I mean, Strebler is coming in as a backup quarterback, yes, Listen, when the Bombers need to throw the ball, Zach Caleros is going to be in there. Um, but Chris Streveler adds a dimension to the running game that has not been there the last couple of years as they've relied entirely on Brady Oliveira. Um, and I think that it is a, uh, put it this way, 
if Oliveira doesn't come back and the Bombers take a step back in the talent level of the running back, I think this signing today softens the blow considerably. If that happens, we all hope it doesn't. Yeah, you'd like to see Brady back. But as we mentioned yesterday, there's a number of like pretty good running backs out there. So even if you did miss out, it seems to be a lot of alternatives and you know a limited dollar amount for all those guys. So that's when CFL free agency opens. They have this legal tampering period uh, coming up very soon. I'm sure during that period, you'll have an idea who's going to sign where. That seems to be what happens. But uh, very interesting. Uh, both his running back market and seems to be alternative. They did sign Johnny Augustine too, Hasse. And yeah, Johnny's we, back. We kind of the opportunity. We've kind of been waiting for him to be given, you know, more of a role because whenever he's in there, uh, I think that he's excelled. So I'm curious where where he fits in. And they did tweet out, you know, he's been available. He's suited up for every game. I think that was that was in the press release. So. Uh, you know he yeah he's been solid too. So this bomber started to get excited us. You know they sent out CFL sent out a timeline of events here coming up. They got the communication window starting February four, February thirteen free agency. They got a couple combines in March, including March nineteen to twenty four. The CFL combine is here. The draft April thirty, and then rookie camps in May. And I'll be honest, it kind of feels like March, April, May outside right now here in Winnipeg. So, uh, you know, time to starting to get over the Grey Cup loss and really beginning to look at to next season as we hit free agency. Yeah, well, it's going to be a wild few weeks in the Canadian Football League. Hey, shout out to Tika J. Uh, he said, hey, boys, watching from Alberta. Thanks for all your hard work and bringing us all the best Jets news. Appreciate everything y'all do. Go Jets, go. Thanks, Tico. Appreciate that. Um Remo, I'm going to send this question to you, but I will also put it out to the chat. And actually, this might be an interesting uh, poll question to throw up as well. Why not question of the day for not Autocorp? Now with Chris Strebler back, knowing that Strebler is here and what he adds to the running game, if the Blue Bombers can only sign one of Brady Oliveira or Dalton Schoen, and again, you know, if they don't sign Brady Oliveira, they will sign somebody else. But let's think that there's a, a drop-off of the talent of the number one running back. Who are you signing? Who is your priority? If you can only have one, is it Dalton Schoen or is it Brady Oliveira? Um, what, what, where do you come out on no, that? No, I don't want to pick. This is too. <laughs> this is too hard. That's a that's that's a great question. This though. is that's a great so question. hard. Um, like I don't want to dump on Brady and running backs, but I'm gonna go with. See, the same Dolan show, but they're already pretty solid. You have Kenny Lawler. You have Nick Dempsey. You have Drew Waltarski. Do you need Dolan show? But he's been the best. In the league the last couple of years. So it's a passing league. I got to go Dal- Dalton Schoen. I think I got to go with go with him. I'm sorry. Brady's been on the show. Does great work with the dog rescue. But it says pick one. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah, show. Listen, I mean, and again, I'm making this. I'm making this a hypothetical. This is a very difficult question to ask because I'm squirming. I mean, we love both of those guys. They've both been huge parts of this team. But the reason I bring that up is that, you know, as we get closer to February, 
um, and the tampering period that's going to begin on the 4th, which is next Sunday, or I guess whatever, Sunday or Monday. I mean, it, it uh, we have to realize that as great as the Bombers have done a job the last couple of years of bringing the band back and basically keeping this team together, um, you know, with how successful all of these players have been, uh, the salary cap makes that probably impossible. Now, I'm still holding out hope that both of those guys are back. Um, but I have to admit, I think I lean Schoen as well. I mean, I think that the loss of Schoen at wide receiver, like his ability and his connection with Caleros, especially when Zach's out of the pocket, is special. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. And I do think, and again, this isn't about replacing an all-star in Brady Oliveira or an all-star in Dalton Schoen. But as we've talked about with the other running backs that are available, I think the fact that players from outside of Winnipeg in the Canadian Football League looking at what the Bombers have done the last number of years would love to come here and join this team. I think when you break down the dollars and cents to it, I think there actually might still be some value on that running back board if Brady does sign to the highest bidder somewhere else. And I think Dalton shown probably is the priority. And uh, as I said, it's it's an impossible question for Bomber fans because they love both of these guys so much. Um, but I think today's news changes that a little bit in the fact that, you know, if you go a little cheaper at the running back position with Johnny Augustine and somebody else that you sign, having Strebler, who can do more than just the one and two yard sneaks, I think it does add another dimension to the running game. And and, and maybe, uh, listen, they've been working on this for a while and we knew that they've always been prioritizing it, Dalton Schoen and Brady Oliveira to try to get those guys back. So I'm not saying that it, it you know, because of this, the Bombers go a different direction. But I do think that um, if it comes down to it, for my bet, for my money, it's uh, it's Dalton Schoen. Let's see what people have to say. I knew this would be a very, very split question today. Um, let's see here. We've got Brady. Okay, so Brady Oliveira is now at 62%. Let's get this whole thing out. So Brady is 62 and Dalton Schoen is 37. Interesting. I guess that's gone sort of back and forth. We've got 99 votes already in chat. If you haven't voted already, throw it in there. Um, we've got, yes, yeah, Strev holds for kicks. I mean, anybody can hold for kicks. You can get the punter in holding for kicks, uh, I would say. Get her done. WST, best daytime sports talk show. Get her done. Great take. That's, that is definitely an approved take. Appreciate you. Waiter says Brady. Schickter says, ooh, shown, I think. MC Stormy, Brady O all day long, Fred Schneider, shown. Um, it's a main role. Who's all available at uh, running back again, WST? Well, Brady Oliveira is available. Standback's available. Ouellette from the Argos is available. I love that guy. Um, Kadeem Carey is available. Uh, oh, and of course, Morrow as well. So you've got five-star running backs on the table. And, you know, if there's big money available to one or two, I mean, if there's a guy that has to take a little bit less and come into a Winnipeg um, and allow the Bombers to sign a guy like Dalton Schoen, I'm not sure that wouldn't be the bad. The, the one thing that would really would suck, Remus, I think we can all agree, is the fact that Brady's a hometown guy. His 
turned into such an incredible player, an incredible ambassador for the team and the city. Uh, I mean, if you took personalities out of it and it was just player A, player B, and we kind of laid out every this situation, I think probably people would maybe be a little bit more on the on the shown side of things. But that's not reality. He is a Winnipeg kid. He is from Oak Park. He did come and play here and, you know, has been such a big part of these teams the last couple of years that it is hard to say uh, to say no. But at the same time, he hasn't been able to get a deal done right now with the Bombers. Um, so it, it, it is definitely a possibility. 59% right now for Brady, 41% for Dalton. And I think that, honestly, is basically 50-50, and then there's an extra few points for the uh, loyalty and love a hometown guy gets. That's what makes it so hard. He's You don't want to like, send away the hometown guy who's so great in the community. I mean, especially after coming, you know, the torch being carried from Andrew Harris to Brady, and you just, you know, don't re-sign him. It feels wrong to do that. It feels wrong, and I'm seeing a comment from Dylan. She says uh, receivers can be found. I think, you know, apparently there's a lot, not apparently, there are a lot of running backs as well available. So this is a tough call, tough decisions for uh, Kyle Walters to make this offseason. And hopefully it ends up like the Jets because we had fun debating Shifley or Hellbuck. We're like, F, Mary kill. Which one are you going to do? And, uh, <laughs> and they ended up keeping them both. So... Uh, you know, maybe you can figure some way to manage the salary cap here and keep both of them. But, you know, interesting when you, you know, I, how many teams have a $120,000 backup quarterback? You know, their salaries aren't public, but is that is that a common uh, I'm thing? I'm pretty sure Drew Brown was making was, at least that last year. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. So hey, listen, just, the one thing that I haven't mentioned that, you know, I probably should have earlier is the ratio. And, you know, having a Canadian running back doing what Brady Oliveira does does allow you, um, you know, some luxuries in, in other areas. Um, I mean, listen, if it's Johnny Augustine taking over, he's Canadian passport as well. Um, and many, some would say that he deserves that opportunity after sort of waiting in the wings and being pretty good when he's been in. But, I mean, Johnny isn't Brady. So... You know, and listen, it's it's an incredibly difficult, difficult question. <laughs> I get people how they've got the angst on the other side. Um, but I guess, you know, if we look at, okay, what, it's Brady 56 right now. Certainly one thing that does definitely bode in Brady's favor if you're making that tough decision is the fact that he does have the Canadian passport, never mind being a Winnipeg guy. Um, but the big story today, Chris Strebler's back, and uh, we'll look to hopefully get him on the show early next week once everything is made official. Tomorrow at the press conference, uh, depending on what time it's at, we'll uh, dig in and maybe get a little bit of audio for them, but we've already talked to DC and looking forward to uh, getting Strev back on WST sometime very soon. Um, listen, we're going to uh, bring in John Mattis coming up from the score in a minute and get into uh, some uh, all-star break NHL talk. Um, but, Remo, speaking of the all-star break, how about the face plants last night of the St. Louis Blues losing one nothing at home to the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Kraken losing to the San Jose Sharks? Um, that... that 
old adage about guys being checked out and already with their bags packed and one foot on the plane going into the break. Never been more on display than last night with those two teams desperately needing points in the wildcard race. Maybe the worst night of hockey in a while. Two games, <laughs> one game, the Blue Jackets win one nothing. Uh, the other game, the Sharks win 2 nothing. So if you're on both underdogs, you probably did pretty well. And yeah, St. Louis, we talked about how hot they've been. But even they were commenting that on, I was watching a bit of the Blues game. They were saying, you know, it seems like these two teams are ready to hop on the plane and start the All-Star break. And uh, I don't know, the Blues, they've been scoring so well. You can't score against the Blue Jackets, who's, you know, one of the uh, worst defensive teams in the league. But hey, Anyone can win on any given night, and you look at the standings now, here they are. The Blue Jackets do, or sorry, the Blues do have that second wild card spot, uh, 54 points tied with the Kings, although they've played a couple more games. The Kraken, they've played three more games than the Kings. They're a bit behind their 52 points. Uh, the Kings do play Nashville. They're battling there for that wild card spot. We talked about that yesterday. That is, uh, that is a big game on tonight's schedule. So those Huge two game. <laughs> so those two teams needed those wins. And yeah, there's the Sharks. They're at the they're at the bottom. Man, the Chicago, could they get the top pick again this year? We're not quite in draft lottery simulator they territory. They absolutely could. They absolutely mm-hmm. could. They're uh I would suggest that they are the favorite right now to Dang. get that number one pick. But again, there is the lottery. Oof. By the way, shout out to Howard Ginn. Yo yo has much love from Doha. Ah, yes, Doha. Always remember my two weeks in Doha for the World Cup. And it is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just about 11 o'clock there in uh, in Doha right now. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm getting shut out at home. I, and I, I think I did say, you know, I, I'm i not sure about the maturity of that Blues team. You know, they won five in a row. They'd won three straight in OT. Yeah, you're at home. One more game before the break. And you got Columbus in, a game that you assume to win. You have to win. And they put up a zero spot. Uh, that's a tough look for Kairou Thomas and uh, the new leaders of that young Blues team. There are three games tonight in the NHL. Remus just mentioned that Nashville Kings game. That is going to be a, uh, I mean, it's a huge game. If Nashville can win, they just gain two points on L.A. Obviously, the games in hand won't change. Um, but we'll touch on that one. The Sens coming off that big comeback win over the Predators on Monday, taking on Detroit. And then uh, the Sharks coming off that win last night against the Ducks. I have a feeling the Ducks will definitely be checked out before this game. Well, we'll get into that on the Cool Bet lines a little bit later on. But uh, John Maddish coming up in just a minute. Um, by the way, gang, <clears throat> Winnipeg Whiskey Festival is coming up. We had a meeting this morning. There is an event that we are going to be involved in on February 29th. Tomorrow on the program, we are going to have details on tickets. It is going to be very, very exclusive. I believe the capacity for this whiskey to, uh, whiskey event is 40. There's a game that night. We're going to be watching it. It is going to be really fun. But if you are someone that loves or is interested in whiskey and the whiskey festival tomorrow's show will have the link. We're going to give first crack to some WST years to get the tickets that weren't already taken by the sponsor and it's going to fill up right away. So mark that down February 29th, 
tomorrow on the program. We will have details and a link if you want to jump on tickets and join us at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. Full details tomorrow and the link to buy tickets. There is your heads up. Shout out to our friends at Canadian Club. Really looking forward to this event. It's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, all the Canadian Club favorites available right now at uh, your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And of course, Canadian Club, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who we've uh, just been discussing. Um, uh, Got to give a shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery. Tomorrow is the first day of February. February is a huge week for Manitoba Battery as they open up a brand new second location on Dover Court in the south side of the city. Never been more easy to shop local and get the best price in town on batteries because even if that's not near you, Donnie and the gang are going to deliver those batteries to you at the best price in town for free anywhere inside the perimeter for any purchase over 60 bucks. It's just that easy. So we'll have grand opening information and sale information when the doors are officially open on Dover Court. But in the meantime, for all your battery needs, manitobabattery.com, 204-783-8787. And you can also visit them in person at the OG location uh, at 1026 Logan Avenue. And hey, uh, thanks to our friends at Modern Man Barbershop for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. I got a nice cut last week from my guy Cordell over on Pemina. Uh, but Modern Man's everywhere. Um, conveniently located throughout the city, fellas, with eight locations, including the newest locations at Pembina by Bishop. That's where I was. Or over on the east side on Plessy Road. And uh, guys, Modern Man has you covered with everything. Haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Make an appointment and book your look via modernmanbarber.com at any of the eight locations. And while you're at it, give them a follow on Instagram at Modern Man Barber Shops. Um, all right, John Matt is coming up. We will talk Jets, but speaking of the Jets, we'll get Remus to give us a all-star break update. I think we've got a few more Insta photos of what some of the fellas are doing. But do not forget, the Jets back at it next week, starting it on the road for a couple games, including the eighth against the Pittsburgh Penguins, or sorry, the sixth against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then right here hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby, Crosby, living legend in the year, arguably should be right up there for MVP this year with the way that he's played, even at his age. Don't miss a chance to see Sid. And one of the top teams in the Western Conference, the Winnipeg Jets, on the 10th. They've also got the Valentine's Day game. Great. Hey, you can kill two birds with one stone. Great date night with your special someone and see the Jets take on the Sharks. And then that big one against the Minnesota Wild, Tuesday, February 20th. WinnipegJets.com slash tickets. While you're at it, consider getting into a package for the rest of the season, booking your playoff tickets, or maybe get back into seasons with some friends or for your business at a great time with the stretch of the season still to come. And, of course, the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's all there at WinnipegJets.com. All right, let's... uh. Talk some pucks right now. We kind of let off with some big football story in town, but uh, there still is lots to get to when it comes to the National Hockey League at the offseason. And uh, we welcome in our guy, John Mattis from The Score. John, what's up? How are you? Fellas, fellas. I'm doing well, thinking about coming to Winnipeg for that whiskey event. Not going to lie. That, yes. That got me excited. I started uh, fantasizing about uh, the night that could be. Um, but no, I'm I'm joking, of course. But 
that sounds like a great event all, all things considered yeah we're gonna have the game on we're gonna have some uh the uh the um uh, the experts coming in telling mm. us about a bunch of different whiskeys uh some uh, some eats um and again the game and the games have been great and that's a big one for the jets taking on the dallas stars that night a team they haven't had a lot of success so far um Let's talk about a few of the big stories. And you know what? Listen, I kind of went off last week <clears throat> on everything that happened with this Hockey Canada situation. You know, the players leaving, um, um, you know, well, all taking leaves. And, I mean, we knew what was happening. I know it was made official yesterday with uh, the players being officially released, the names. Um, but just before we get into the, the National Hockey League, um, I'm reading that this means... Like, in all likelihood, in Ontario court, like, these guys might not even get into a courtroom until 2026. Now, I know most of them, I believe all of them actually are RFAs. Um, are these guys' careers on a hold? I mean, potentially over, depending on what happens. But um, how do you see this going over the course of the next year and a half or two years for these players who will not have the opportunity to have their day in court, but have the clock ticking on their professional careers. I mean, I think what's happened with Alex Fermentin and, uh, and the Ottawa Senators is a good template. I mean, yep. clearly the Senators knew something or felt like they wanted to get ahead of it. I, I don't know what, I don't want to speculate, but they, this is going back, I think two years now. That's uh, why they, this guy wasn't in the NHL. Correct. Yeah. He's been in Switzerland and it kind of, his contract talks as an RFA kind of dragged on. The next thing you know, he was in Europe and people connected the dots, of course, but there was no official charge. There were no, uh, nothing official to, to talk about in regards to that. But, you know, it's pretty obvious right now. So I would imagine that these other players, the other four players will have an opportunity to do something similar. I use opportunity in air quotes here because it's not, um, it's more of a punishment than anything. Because if you're an NHL team, I, I don't know how you can bring them in for the next, let's, like like you said, 2026. So that would be the next two seasons, not including this one, that they would be off the ice. And the fact that all of them are RFAs, they're, I believe they're all 25. Um, I think that makes it certainly easier uh, versus being under contract. And that complicates everything as far as... Uh, the union, the players' union getting involved, agents getting involved, and it being this dispute that's, you know, a, a sideshow to to the real problem uh, that that night in London. So it's tough. I mean, if you're an NHL team, I think you you, you just have to essentially break ties, given um, that they've officially been charged. Now this isn't this isn't rumors. This isn't innuendo. And sure, they 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 you know they haven't been. Um, sentenced, uh, they still have to go through the court system. But just the way these things tend to go in the hockey world and in other sports, they're at that point where they will be on the outside looking in. You know, I I have to think that all these teams knew that this that something like this was potentially coming. And I guess it was somewhat of a head in the ground. When it happens, we'll deal with it, um, whether that's the way – you'd want your team handling a player like that, I guess can be determined by the fans. I think as someone here in Winnipeg, you know, with the jets, I, I think no matter what, I mean, you're just happy that, you know, you don't have to deal with that. And I mean, if you're a devil's fan, if you're a flyers fan, um, you know, you're, 
you're probably feeling somewhat conflicted. The Calgary situation, though, is interesting. And that, you know, the, the one thing I think a lot of people, and I talked about this last week on the show, right? not not on the Monday show after we heard that Dylan Dubé was taking his leave for quote-unquote mental health. But the second that Carter Hart took his leave, I think we all saw the writing on the wall at what was coming down. And at that point, we doubled back to see what Calgary had put out. Mm-hmm. And now Calgary has made a statement that said they were unaware of this. I realize there is a ton of skepticism about that as to how realistic that can be. Um, And I don't know how this works. I mean, if a player goes to the team and says, hey, I've got something going on, I need a mental health break, I guess the team, maybe knowing what it was about, just said, okay, fine, and went with that. But how do you see this? Like, this is a new management group in Calgary. Um, Is this going to be something that, I'm not necessarily saying they pay the price for, but how big of a deal is that? Um, Because the mental health is a big thing right now. You want to support people as much, but let's face it, that, that message that they put out, knowing what we know now 10 days later, has left a real bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and I don't think has made has painted the, the organization in a very good light, even with the denial yesterday, whether it's the fault of their own or not. Yeah, I mean, the the optics are pretty bad because, I mean, the guy in charge there, Craig Conroy, has been with the team for a number of years. He didn't just walk right into this this new job he has, right? He's been around the team. He's been around Dubé. He would have certainly heard that there was a possibility Dubé was going to get wrapped up in this and that he was one of the players that would be going to court. So I don't know if it's one of those things where Dubé tried to play off as, as a mental health absence and – they maybe didn't quite, you know, uh, merge the timelines of, of what was going to happen with these charges with his the timing of his request. Um, so I don't know if that's just, you know, PR fumbling the ball. Is that Craig Conroy himself fumbling the ball? But there's certainly a disconnect there. And it only took, what, 24 hours for that leave to not be about mental health like it's not like he's been gone for two weeks and then it's like oh he also has this other thing going on it's it's pretty obvious that he had one thing going on um so it's 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 tough i mean i wouldn't say that's like a fireable offense but if you're trying to build uh you know uh, your reputation in in the fan base trying to convince them of even if even just convince them of hockey moves i mean you're losing a bit of that faith because they go what were you doing here in the in the, with this with this leave and with this statement and you know supporting this guy for a quote-unquote mental health issue when there was much more going on by, behind the scenes that the team absolutely should have at least known parts of you know they should have been suspicious at least so it's strange i find it very odd because they were the only team that did that, right? Every other team kept it really plain, really simple, personal reasons, some sort of leave of absence, but they didn't attach any um, sympathetic language to it. Uh, but no, no, the, flame, far, the Flames did, it. and it's unfortunate. And like, you make a really good point because Patrick Laine, a few days ago, takes this absence to do with mental health. That's very important. I think 99% of the people out there in the world go, good for you, Patrick, You know, get your yourself together and then you come back when you're when you're okay i think people 
generally have, have really come around to appreciating that these guys are humans. And it's just unfortunate that places like the player assistance program, which I think has done a lot of good gets kind of lumped in with, with something that Dubé did um, whether it's sort of on purpose or not, you, you sort of associate them, them both. It, it with does. Each other. It, it does everything that I think the league, the PA people working together are trying to do to promote the well being and mental health of their players. It does it such a great disservice if this is used as some sort of a shield for something so reprehensible as what these guys are being charged with. Um, and obviously this is something that over the course of the year, next couple of years um, will be, uh, will be a topic. And I'm not sure whether these guys ever play again, to be honest. I mean, I think all of us should be more concerned about the victim here um, and how this plays out. Um, but I will tell you, I mean, it is, it, it, I mean, as someone that hasn't, you know, been dragged to court for anything. It was sort of stunning when you hear that this is January of 2024. And it's in all likelihood two years from now that this is actually going to be heard in a court of law. And um, it, it's a somewhat unique situation when you talk about um, individuals charged that are in pr- pr- professions with such a tight timeline on when you're actually there to uh, to do it. But I don't think there's many people feeling sorry for anybody of those uh, that had their name called to court and has been officially charged with that. John, let's uh, kind of pivot over to uh, one of your latest pieces in the uh, at thescore.com on potential expansion. And, you know, it was what, it was the, the day that uh, we heard all of these five players and within about five minutes, there was a release and that kind of set me off to be honest last week. I mean, I thought that it was speaking of distasteful. Um, you want to talk about the, uh, the, you know, the sleight of hand done by the league. And then frankly, the water carrying, carrying by a lot of guys that knew what the big story was, but all of a sudden they're talking about this team in Utah um, under the guise of expansion. And I've been pretty clear. I don't think this is about expansion at all. I think this is about the Coyotes. And the Coyote, and, and listen, we here in Winnipeg know about it more than anyone because of the stealth way that True North and the Chipman group worked behind the scenes to get all of their ducks in a row. So when the, the opportunity was provided, they were ready to go. And when I read that press release, the one thing that stood out to me was simply we are ready to host a team right now. And to me, that was a shot at Arizona. I know the NHL loves the Arizona market. Why wouldn't they? I think there still is a lot of potential for hockey to succeed in the desert like it's done in a bunch of other places. But it wasn't doing it out in Glendale. It's certainly not doing it in the Mullet Arena right now, and it's costing the league and the players a lot of money right now. Are you sort of with me that this is a power play on the Coyotes? And I would bet right now that the Coyotes will be in Utah next year. And then at that point, then they can start talking about massive numbers for expansion franchises in the future. And an expansion franchise that could potentially in two, three, four years, if they ever get their shit together and get an arena in a proper spot that will work, Arizona, I would imagine, would probably be at the top of the list, to be honest. Yeah, that's the thing is Arizona on paper is a really just top drawer market as far as, you know, you've got this huge population, you've got affluent people, you've got a guy like Austin Matthews as a spokesperson. Um, There's real promise there and they've been there for 25 years. It's wild that 
they've had such controversy around you know their ownership around their their buildings and the nhl hasn't given up yet but to circle back on on your entry into this topic i think that the salt lake statement that was put out there and let's put aside the whole timing of it for for this discussion right now in terms of you know it coming out right around the world junior news but the fact that it came out at all the fact that they released a statement told me the NHL is on board with this and not necessarily that like, Hey, we're going to move there next year or Hey, we're going to move there in two years. But you do not put out a statement like that without Gary Bettman giving you the thumbs up. Like that's, we learned it for Jim ball silly. I was just about to say, this isn't ball silly trying to make his power play. This is the, everyone who has ever tried to buy a franchise in the NHL has learned from Jim ball silly. He died, he died for the, for them um, in that sense. And so Bettman signing off on this this publicity that that Salt Lake is is uh, is drumming up, and you know the, their owner apparently is is a very well respected, deep pocketed, and you mentioned that that story that I did on expansion from uh, about a month ago, and one thing that uh, I I can't remember exactly who it was. I talked to about fifteen people for the story. I think it was an academic. I think it was a, an economics professor. He said one thing you need to consider with expanding or bringing in new owners is Sure, like they gotta have the money uh, to to join the league. They gotta have the 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 rink in place, but also the owner himself. Like, is he bringing value in non hockey ways? So, is he a tech entrepreneur who can potentially help you do X, Y, and Z in the future? Um, I don't know. Does he have a concessions business, and all of a sudden he's working with every team in the league to to make a greater a greater profit uh, with with your popcorn stuff like that? Like, it, what's this guy bringing to the table? And by all accounts, Ryan Smith, the guy in, in Salt Lake, um, he comes from a tech background. He can bring plenty to the table. So I think that's pretty interesting, uh, sort of the, the the fact that they're coming out and, and saying, we're ready. Like, let, let's bring a team here. And the NHL is in a real sweet spot here. Like, as far as, uh, you know, the, their revenues are through the roof. Uh, they were bragging about last month about how they've, they're on pace to exceed six billion uh, in, in revenues this year. You know, uh, a new a new franchise would command a, an expansion fee of at least one billion, maybe two. And Bettman's job, at its core, is to serve its, his owners. And what does that mean? That means increasing franchise values over time. Well, guess what? From twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, franchise values across the league, on average, went up twenty nine percent according to Forbes and Sportico, like two very reputable uh, media organizations. So that alone sets them up really well. And also Vegas and Seattle are tremendous advertisements for for not only prospective owners getting excited, but also f- for, for the league getting excited. I mean, Vegas and, and Seattle, forget their on-ice success for a second. Off-ice, they've been massive drivers of revenue. Um, I heard that that Seattle, like to get a box there, uh, for a season, you know, they're, they're charging, you know, close to a, a million dollars. So that's just a, a random thing to throw out there. But like both of those cities have really uh, embraced their team. So there's pros and cons to all this, whether it's uh, Salt Lake moving, uh, sorry, uh, getting uh, the, the Arizona team and then you're keeping it at 32 and moving on with your life as a, as a league. And there's also pros and cons to expanding to 33 or 34 teams. Um, I don't know if you want to run through those or not. Um, if we want to go down that avenue, but well, well, uh, for sure, I mean, the, I, I guess I would ask: Is there enough talent <laughs> to yes. add? Like, let's just say 
to add two more teams. I mean, I don't think you'd want to have an odd number. So if you're going with one, eventually you're probably getting two. Yes. I'm sure there's some markets. I was in Kansas City a couple weeks ago. They got the beautiful Sprint Center. People talk about Quebec. It doesn't seem like the NHL has any interest in even entertaining that right now. There's Houston. We've heard Atlanta again. If the Coyotes move, Arizona would be certainly a market that they could do their due diligence, get an arena, and then start it. I mean, what are the pros and cons? But starting off, is there enough talent to make a 34-team league or, God forbid, down the road, 36 teams realistic? The, the real answer uh, is is we don't know. And I know that's, like, unsatisfying. But when you go from, say, 30 teams to 32, like we did with Vegas and Seattle, there was a risk there that this the on-ice product would get diluted, that it would be significantly worse. I would say big picture it's maybe gotten slightly worse like if you're watching a tuesday game between the 25th and 29th team in the league it's not great hockey but i wouldn't say it's to a point where you're throwing your hands up and going this league really screwed up by bringing in two more teams but when you go to 33 and 34 teams as you mentioned you're bringing 23 new jobs on that 33rd team and then if you double that so then it'd be 46 if you're bringing in two new teams the 46 players that are in the nhl right now would would have a chance to get regular NHL action. That kind of scares me, like, on paper. But, again, we don't know. Like, maybe you expand to 34, and it's fine, and it's actually 35 when things really drop off. So there's a great unknown there. And in talking to some people, you know, there, there were kind of two ways to look at it. One was, you know, the, the explosion of hockey in the U.S. over the last couple of decades has created all these different pockets where some talent is coming from. So... I don't know, Pittsburgh, Arizona, uh, you know, Anaheim, these places where before all the best athletes were going to other sports. Now, you know, there's ex NHLers who are training these guys and there's, there's players coming out of St. Louis all the time when that just wasn't a thing 20 years ago. So, you know, there's sort of like a, especially in the U S and you see with the U S national development program, who just churns out first rounder after first rounder. There's certainly like a, the, the, the talent pool is deepening, I think, worldwide in general, but has it deepened enough? Have we given it enough time to sort of percolate to bring on those four and 46 new jobs? That, that's the debatable part. Um, and also from sort of a fan perspective, you know, right now, I bet you if you ask a, a, like an average fan across the NHL who isn't in Columbus, name more than three Columbus Blue Jackets, I bet you most people would be stumped. And I bring that up because, yeah, sure, if you're in your own market, you know your team pretty well. You you know what's going on with your team. That's not that hard. But I think there's a lot of value in knowing the rest of the league. And if you add team after team after team, you start losing that connection to the rest of the league. And you start going, oh, my team's playing Columbus tonight. I don't know anything about this team. Um, whereas if you go back to the original six, you knew everyone. You know, when you had 21 teams, you knew most of these players. 30, okay, that was tolerable. 32? It can be difficult sometimes. And then if you grow that even more. So hockey's a regional sport already. And adding more teams might actually make it even more regional, which again, you know, there's pros and cons to this. Is there more revenue coming in? That's a plus. Um, are fans disconnecting with the rest of the league? That's a negative. You know, um, you know, someone made a good point um in you know in the chat that, you know, the difference between the 750th best player in the world and the 850th player best player in the world is basically nil. 
Sure. Um, you know, it's a really fine line between we see it all the time with guys getting called up from the American League. I mean, your top American leaguers, can they play, you know, fourth line in the National Hockey League? The answer is yes. To me, the question, John, is, is there enough star power? I mean, and, and I think that's what we're getting at to kind of to put these teams on the map other than being, you know, workmanlike. It's an NHL franchise. So they're guys that can that can draw fans, can draw attention to those markets. That, I think, is um, up for debate. Yeah, and that's fair. And sort of on the same point or same train of thought, the 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 flip side of saying, oh, the talent pool is going to be diluted, you know, the hockey isn't going to be as good, is that maybe the superstars, the McDavid's, the Matthews, maybe they feast on this inferior competition even more. And we start seeing McDavid, you know, challenge for Gretzky's points record. I mean, that's crazy to say, but like, I'm just throwing something out there mm. where maybe it, you know, it becomes a little even, even more high scoring. And like, like maybe the, the talent gap from the best player in the league and the worst player ends up actually rising, lifting up these superstars and they become, you know, global names. They become these star attractions. So again, there's all these like different angles into this and different ways to look at it. You can spin it positive or negative pretty much um, on any topic relating to expansion. But I thought that was an interesting one that someone brought up to me when I did this story where it's like, everyone thinks that bringing in worse players, inferior players is going to, hurt the product which is possible but also you might be helping these best players look better you might be seeing more highlights from nathan mckinnon and kale mccarr etc so that's interesting too and the expansion draft would have to be favorable I, i think you can't go back to what it used to be for the predators and the blue jackets and the wild like you have to give them very favorable conditions one because they're paying a billion dollars and two because you want this team, these teams to survive and and really thrive like Vegas and, and Seattle have so far. No doubt about it. You taking in the All Star festivities in the weekend? I am. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah, I'm based in Hamilton, so not far from Toronto. So I'll be heading there uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, whatever about the three on three games. I am looking forward to this new skills competition. Uh, I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it'll be very well received. And it should be a lot of fun, especially when you look at the names that are up there. Uh, John, have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy. And uh, maybe we'll touch base the next little bits. Check about the All-Star experience and get back to the games on this push to the playoffs in both the East and the West. Absolutely. As usual, thanks for having me on, guys. Cheers. Good stuff. There's John Mattis at, at thescore.com. Check out all of his work covering the National Hockey League. We're going to get Brandon Rewicki and focus a little bit more on the Jets, although I am looking forward to seeing what he has to say about that skills competition. We can get in on that a little bit more. Of course, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking bombers right off the bat with the news of Chris Streveler's signing. Of course, Chris Streveler will be playing at Princess Auto Stadium as Princess Auto is the now title sponsor of the home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a huge supporter of all of our local sports teams, as well as Winnipeg Sports Talk. And of course, Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new at Princess Auto. Pop by and see them. Panet Road, Portage Avenue West locations. Or uh, check them out online and shop 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Thanks to our friends at Wallace & Wallace. We're into the deep freeze of the winter. And Wallace and Wallace right now are busy helping Winnipeggers and Manitobans make sure their garage door 
is getting up and down as possible. Listen, the winter, as nice as it is right now, this is when the most stress goes on your garage door. And Wallace and Wallace can help you get it up and down with, of course, the uh, the the best in maintenance and service. The right time to prevent downtime this winter is now. So give them a call for your inspection and maintenance service call today for residential and commercial overhead door sales and service. There's only one name or two you need to know. Wallace and Wallace, the fencing and overhead door experts in Winnipeg since 1946. And uh, got to shout out our friends at F Apparel. Guys, we're now into the new year. Spring is around the corner. Wedding season will be here before you know it. How's your menswear looking? Uh, if you're a guy that looks into the closet realizing you need to step it up, the best place you can do it at the best price is F Apparel at 190 Smith Street downtown with custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, uh, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. If you are getting married this year or in a wedding party, make sure to talk to the staff at F Apparel about a 15% discount when the fellas go down together to get their suits for the big day from F Apparel. Uh, make an appointment or find out more online at F, that's E-P-H-Apparel.com, and they are located at 190 Smith Street downtown. All right, let's get Ruwiki in here. Just getting ready for a busy few days on the home front. Uh, moving. It's nothing like it, eh, buddy? How, how excited are you for uh, the next little bit? Oh, it's awesome. I love it. Uh, yeah, give me more. Give me more. No, this. I think this is, we've officially realized that this is the first and the last move um, for the Rewiki clan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. To, I'm, I'm ready to push us behind us here. But a big, a surprisingly big sports day today, man. Like with the Strevy news Strevs and the All-Star back. coming up, Chelsea Liverpool, which I'm sure all your listeners are absolutely jacked up and geared for in a couple minutes. I got the the blue kid ready to go in the back. So this is a, this is a pretty big day for me. I'm putting the, the moving down on like fourth on the pecking order right now. Well, I can tell you, I'm sure your wife will love that. Um, I'm sure <laughs> the, uh, uh, I mean, listen, people fired up about Strebler coming back. I mean, a great bit of news, still some uncertainty as to some of the other players from last year's bomber team that may or may not be back. But um, you know, listen, with the uncertainty of Brady Oliveira, Whoever is playing running back, that running game gets a big, big boost of with Chris Strebler. And uh, uh, we can already just start moving the chains on third and two and third and one right now because you know that Strebler is going to get there. Um, but listen, I, I want to ask you about uh, – we'll talk Jets in just a quick second. Um, I, I'm really excited about the skills competition. And I'm normally – like in the past, it's been – Whatever, it's fun. Oh, who's going to be the fastest skater? Who's even in it? Or any of the guys going to participate? But, I mean, like the names that we've got, they're playing for a million dollars. Each player is going to go in four of the first six events. Then the final eight move on to a one-on-one -on -one shootout competition. And then the final six in on a double point obstacle course round, I guess, to make it happen. But Pasternak, McKinnon, Makar, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Barzal, Kucherov, Matthews, Nylander, Quinn Hughes, and I think JT Miller. I mean, credit to the league for getting the stars to be in on this. And uh, I'm really hoping 
that this is the start of a format that can carry on for a long time. And if they if it works and they use it well, you know, we could be talking about years and years in advance doing the same format to see who was winning the skills competition. I think it'll carry a hell of a lot more cachet than anything that's happened on All-Star Weekend in the last decade. Yeah, I, I think this might be, the in terms of creative and, and marketing, I think it might be the best thing the NHL's done since the initial uh, Winter Classic. Like, I, I think it's an absolute grand slam. I don't know how any hockey fan honestly can't be excited. Um, the, it might be a little bumpy in terms of execution. Like, I just hope that if it doesn't go completely flawlessly that they scrap the whole project. Because it might be one of those things that you, you might need to – kind of workshop it for a year or two. But this is this is everything that the NHL should be doing at all times, which is marketing, exclusively marketing their stars and giving them an opportunity to shine on, on the brightest stage possible. And so I, I think they've absolutely nailed it. I love it. I hope it goes well. I think there might be a few bumps or two, but I, I just don't get how any hockey fan isn't tuning in to see how things go out. And I think, you know, with the money prize that's being put down on it, you're not going to get all-star level effort. You know, the, the hope here is that, you know, the players kind of understand and maybe the league nudges them that, look, guys, we, we need we need everything from you here. And then we're asking for a bit of a favor, and there's a pretty juicy reward for it if it ends up going well for you tonight. So I'm, I'm really, really excited. I hope they also adopt my all-star game format idea, but this is an excellent first step in improving the actual on-ice all-star festivities. What uh, refresh us? Uh, what what is your what is your idea to make the All Star Game better? So, and I'm glad you asked. I kind of led you into asking. You me, did. But I'm you did. You I'm, I'm intrigued. That. I'm always here for interesting <laughs> ideas for that sort of thing. So, and and to me, like the main issue with All Star Games in any sport is realistically just the lack of effort put out there. And I I totally understand players not wanting to go 110. percent so it's how can you manufacture some level of, at the very least, regular season intensity as opposed to playoff intensity, which is probably unrealistic. And for me, the way to do that is let's link or let's shorten the playing surface and eliminate the number of players that are out there. So my my dream NHL All Star format, I think it will work better in basketball, honestly, Hus, than hockey. But my dream NHL All Star format is essentially a March Madness-style bracket, and you have teams of two. And you go up against another team of two. It's one half of the ice. First goal, sudden death wins. You move on to the tournament, lose, see you later. And we keep doing this until we get to the final matchup. But we can. We're, I'm, I'm open to ideas. I'm open to workshopping it. But we're essentially doing like NHL Mortal Kombat. And I think that's going to be the yes. best way, the best way to, and I think you'll get buy-in from the players on this because you're making it really competitive and it's something new and different. And I, I don't know, you can't tell me that if the final wasn't McKinnon McDavid versus Crosby McCarr, that even old man Crosby wouldn't be out there busting his ass trying to get the W. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think, I think. Hey, how about this? Every team sends their two guys in their goalie. Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about it. March Madness. There's 64 teams. You just start in the round of 32. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it goes over, it goes over, say, three days. 
Interesting. I, I I like that. My other my other potential idea, just because they've done this before, is you can have and depending on the teams and players and stuff like that, is you could also have like say sixteen captains, and they pick who they want to go with, and that's how you create your all star teams that way. Like if you wanted to keep it just all stars, you could do it that way. But I'd be down too with the thirty-two teams like going toe to toe. That's like NHL hits back in the day, where you just have your best three in the goalie. I mean, as it is right now, every team needs to be represented. I'd, I'd far rather rather roll with your concept of it, where the all stars or the best players from each team go together, and you yeah. inevitably get the best players probably moving on playing for something. Well, it is. Oh, uh, well, let's think about that. We're watching the three on three go through the motions uh, for the signature event of it. Although, as I said, the skills competition with these toe of stars all participating in multiple events with a significant prize, I think is going to be great. Um, Brandon, we're just over a month from the trade deadline, and we've talked a lot about the Jets' need for a second-line center, which was, uh, well, as the goals have dried up with Mark Shifley on the shelf, eminently obvious we've talked about i mean the names that have been kicked around elias lindholm kind of a step down monahan adam henrique um like are there some other guys out there that haven't been named that are intriguing to you that and again let's face it chevy's pulled off a couple wild ones in the past paul stastny in particular I mean, this is sports talk. We can have crazy ideas. Hell, Hamilton started pitching Sidney Crosby a month ago, which is still an unbelievable idea if it ever got to any semblance of reality. Um, But let's go down that road. I mean, guys that can play center, guys that could fit in the top six, is there a name or two that intrigues you that might not be so ridiculous that it's at least worth discussing? I love hammers hitting the dispensary. I love it. I I, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. You know, I, there there were a couple names that, that did intrigue me. My, my initial dream one was Brock Nelson, but that was back when the aisles were scuffling and and before um, Patty wall was brought back into the fold. So that pretty much dashed that one um, almost immediately. But one name that I like, and I think also has the potential to be available, a team in that bubble spot just outside the playoff picture right now that you could buy low on is Yanni Gord out in Seattle. And I, I wonder if the fit here wouldn't be pretty damn excellent as well. You know, like to me, that's almost, you're getting like a supercharged Vladdy Nemesnikov. Like they, they kind of play similar styles. Obviously, Gore, I mean, like, Everybody knows what Gord did. He was kind of the unsung hero for the Lightning's back-to-back cup runs. Like he he was the engine on that third line that was one of the better third lines we've seen on a cup winning team in, in years and years and years. And he checks off a lot of the boxes too. Like he's not super big, but I mean, does everything else for you. He's been there. He's he's won everything. He can skate. Offs. He can skate like the wind. He kills penalties as well. Got a little more offensive pop than than uh, Nemesnikov does, and I could see him fitting really, really well with uh, with the Nikki Ehlers beside him. Um, so that's one of the guys. I'll, I'll see if I can pull up my list too quickly because there was somebody else that that I liked. But yeah, you I, pull that up in a minute. I'll just uh, I'll, I'll just add on Gord um, as I pull up cap friendly. I mean, thirty two right now. 
Um, he's got one more year on on the deal, and and I've sort of been a proponent of more rentals this year for the Jets because of the way that their roster is set up, with everybody signed for next year, with the exception of Cole Perfetti, who will be an RFA, and you know we'll presumably get whether it's a shorter or a long term deal done with the Jets. If you're starting to bring guys on with significant cap hits that you can maybe handle this year. It does complicate things for the summer, um, and that's why a Lindholm does make sense. That's why a guy like Tanev coming in. I mean, you, you you don't. It doesn't complicate things. It doesn't block your younger players because I think the Jets, with where they're at, are going to need a couple guys on ELCs, a McGrory, a potentially a Lambert, and Elias Salmonson. Um, but I think that's manageable, and only having the one more year on the deal, I think there's uh, enough that. You know, an NHL general manager should be able to figure out a way to make that work if the deal makes sense for the uh, for the present tense. Yeah, and and Gord's contract isn't terrible either. I think he's got one more year after five, this. Yeah, one more at five one six. That's kind of the sweet spot, in my opinion, to go after guys at the deadline. And obviously, the Jets. I mean, the Jets wouldn't even need Seattle to retain, which is massive for for any team. But I think the Kraken would like that especially. You know, he doesn't get a ton of minutes out there. Not, not that they don't you know, underappreciate him or anything. But, you know, it's not like they're moving a, a Shane Wright or, or a Matty Beignet, like a guy that's playing 19 minutes a night for them. I, I, I feel like that one could be the classic Chevy under the radar move. The other guy that I that I was thinking about that I've, I've started to see people mention as well, so it's not necessarily a totally new name, um, but circle it around the trash heap that is Columbus. You know, you wonder what the price would look like on a guy like Boone Jenner. Oh, we've um, talked about him for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, Couple and more that years, was, I, he's like 3.5. Like, he's got a great yeah. deal, which would probably cost you a little bit more to get a player like that. And I believe he's a couple years younger. I think he's 30 years old. Like, that's a guy that would come in and be a big part of your team. He is the captain there. But, I mean, I think everything's on the table with Columbus right now. And, like, you wonder. I, I don't think they'll do it. But, I mean, imagine if Yarmo gets canned. Well, or do and they trust Yarmo to make that trade? Fair, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that's to me, that's why it's a little bit more of a pipe dream because you're dealing your captain. I mean, he's kind of like Mr. Blue Jacket right now. He's He's been there for over a decade at this point. It might be a little bit unrealistic. But, again, that's one of your under-the-radar, nobody's-talking-about-him-Chevy-type moves. And I, I wonder, I wonder, like, if, if you'd rather Boone Jenner or, or Yanni Gord, like, who would be the... The preferred candidate there. I'm a, I'm a big Gord fan. I kind of I, I I don't know. I, I like him a lot. Um, you know, I I wonder what the cost would be with Seattle too. Like, I think it would be less than Boone Jenner as well. And you're not locked in. Not that Jenner's contract is onerous or anything, right? But like, it's only an extra year commitment. You get him for two playoff runs, and then at that point, you probably hope that maybe an internal solution pops up at second line center. Well, and, and, and just to your to your point, to add on to that, uh, as we pull up Sivas, um, Boone Jenner has, yeah, two years left at 3.75. He's 30 years old right now, so he's a couple years younger as well. One thing that certainly, I mean, if, you, if this is important to you, playoff experience, obviously Gord has that, got the rings, been with, with those incredible Tampa teams, so he certainly does bring that. But I actually also think that there's a level when we're talking about a Jenner or an Adam Henrique, for instance, 
of guys that have been on these garbage teams for a long time that haven't had a chance to play on good teams that are even more highly motivated to go in to make an impact and to make the most of that opportunity that they really haven't had before. Exactly. And I, you know, Hempus Lindholm is a great example of that Hus. where people were, a lot of people were clowning on Boston when they made the deal, like this guy's and signed him and signed him too. like, what are we doing here? And then he ends up like, what was he top 10 Norris voting last year? Right? Like there, there is something to be said to, Hey, we'll give you the old postseason jolt and watch a guy explode on a new team thing. Yeah, I, I, I totally buy that. It kind of makes me wonder, too, this would be so much more complicated, though. But I get I, I saw someone just kind of float out there, you know. I wonder what Tomas Hurdle's future is like in San Jose, with him knowing that there's no hope of a postseason berth anytime soon. That's kind of the double whammy, Hus. He's been to a cup final, but you're also getting a guy that's been on an awful team for a few years, so there'd be a big jolt of energy for him in, in kind of escaping that situation. Cause I don't know if that's going to work or not. Hurdle in the sh- like hurdle right now would be an awesome addition. Uh, I, the fact of the matter is he signed it over 8 million until 2030. And right. you know, once you add in like the jets have that contract already with Mark Shifley. Um, like even if you're able to do that, do you want two players on that sort of same career path that will be that you'll be paying big money for the back nine of their career. Um, I think it makes sense for one, especially a player like Shifley with where he's at and his level of importance. But I, listen, if I'm Shevel Dayoff, I'm looking at some of the other options. Like, as I say, and sometimes they'll say, hey, you got a window, you got to make the move right now. But taking on an eight plus million dollar contract for a guy that's going to run till he's 37 is, is significant. And it is a big, big risk to take. That's the, uh, scared money. Don't make no money type of trade, right? Where you're like, you, you know, there's a lot of risk coming in, but it's like, you know, banners don't fly until just 2030. They'll, uh, they'll be up in the rafters forever. So <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's the, the risk reward that you have to weigh, right? Like, obviously, I mean, a rental, you know, there, there's no long-term commitment. A guy like Gord is maybe the sweet spot there. But I mean, Hurdle's by far the biggest impact guy you could add. That, that's seemingly available, right? So I, I don't know if I would give that the stamp of approval, Hus, but I think about it. I'd, I'd be like, okay, Mike Greer, like, what are we, what are we talking here? Can we retain a little bit as well? Like, what's, what are our options on that? I would like to hear my options out on on a potential hurdle deal, at least. Hey, listen, he certainly would be a major impact player, and uh, that would be a guy that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about or thinking, um, but probably because of the contract as much as anything. I can guarantee you, if he had an expiring deal or one year left. Being out there on San Jose, his name would be at the top of uh, of pretty much every list. Brandon Rewicki's with us. B, got to ask you this, and this is not a great topic to get to, but uh, you're very tied in with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I know you're, you know, paying close attention to uh, like where are the fans at right now with what's happened with Carter Hart, um, and I mean, what does this mean? I mean, listen, we, we've talked a lot about the main concern is the victims. These guys are screwed probably for the next couple of years minimum. Whether they can get a conviction or not, I think what what we've learned about the incident from the investigations 
is going to make these guys incredibly radioactive to any teams. Um, but like in Philly, with that market of a player that was thought to be a cornerstone of the franchise, now that it's public and he is one of the five that is going to be going to court probably in 2026, um, where's the fan base at and, and where, do this or, where does the organization go with the uncertainty or maybe the certainty that he's just done as a flyer? Well, I think that's kind of what everybody's wondering slash almost confirming is like, do we see Carter Hart play his last game as a flyer? Um, it's, a, it's a very valid question. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know where it goes, right? Because like you said, I mean, if a trial is potentially two years away, I don't know what the discipline would be like, right? Like how, it, yeah, there's just, I mean, there's so many question marks. It does to me at least kind of feel like the, the end of Hart's chapter in Philly. Um, you know, a lot of people are excited about Sam Erson before this all came down, and now the reins are kind of being handed to him. But it's just, um, you know, he was seen as the a franchise cornerstone, Hus, but he was, like, I mean, we all know Philly's goaltending graveyard that it's been since, ascend- I mean, Hextall and, and, and Pelly Lindbergh briefly, right? But, like, since... Bernie Perron, essentially. Like, he was, like, kind of seen as the savior for the franchise. And for it to potentially end like this, is just, it's something nobody could have possibly seen coming. So, like, the, I don't know. There's an element of shock, really, that, you know, this is probably how it ends for him. Um, where, where, yeah, it, it's tough to say where it goes from here because, I mean, we know things can change pretty quickly in terms of, like, the judicial system and courts and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's pretty tough has to envision him wearing the orange and black again. Where his career goes after that, not so sure. Well, and, and, and here's the thing. I mean, again, not to be cynical here, but we've seen this sort of thing happen before in multiple pro sports. Um, you know, Hart is by far the best player of these five. I mean, if you had to bet on some team kind of holding their nose and at some point taking a chance on a guy... Um, you know, he would be the guy. But I just think about such a massive story this is in hockey. I mean, this isn't something that happened, like, unrelated to hockey. I mean, it is a hockey story. It is the quote-unquote hockey culture um, that continues to, you know, hopefully change. But, I mean, this was 2018. And I, listen, if anything, if these, if any of these guys are playing, I'd be willing to put a pretty large wager. It's in the KHL at some point. And I don't even know what it means for them, like for the next couple of years, whether they'll be able to do that while they're waiting to proclaim their innocence in a court of law. The other part of it is that they're all RFAs. And I would presume there'll probably be some, you know, league mandate that these guys are just on the on the commissioner's list or whatever. Like right now, they're going to get paid for the rest of this year. But at the end of those years, they're not getting more contracts. Like, no one's signing these guys next year. Uh, I would have a feeling that maybe those teams would retain their rights beyond the normal period of time. Um, but in a way, I mean, I think it's it, it's pretty clear, I think, if you read the tea leaf from what Philadelphia has been saying going forward, that they realize that Urson's their guy right now. Carter Hart's probably not coming back. Um, and if that's the case, you know, Calgary will be working the same way. 
New Jersey will be working the same way with two players on that list and uh, and going forth. But, uh, I mean, listen, you know, sometimes you get into the minutia of what this means for teams, but, you know, the like they love Hart there, and he was like a big, big part. And, I mean, there is a uh, – I mean, that fan base has really taken a hit, and it's sort of been a much quieter one. Usually Philly fans are loud and boisterous and us against the world, but – um, you know, just from what I've been paying attention to, this is something that while there were whispers and rumors, people knew he was on that team. There was a very strange bit from his lawyer a couple a year ago. I guess while everything's normal, people can sort of put that away. But now that this is out there, it sort of seems like uh, I think for all of those guys, um, they're probably going to be even if and we've heard before that, it, you know, the possibility of a conviction is going to be very difficult in this case. But I really do wonder, because of such a public sport, I mean, this isn't just going and getting a random anonymous job somewhere. There's a lot that goes with that player, and especially a team like Philly that has had, you know, some ups and downs in that area beforehand. I mean, at some point they kind of go off. But I do wonder whether it's just an NHL league-wide that this is such a dark story for hockey, regardless of you know, if these guys are able to get off once everything is public. And once we learn officially what's happened, in addition to what's been reported, it's going to be pretty tough for these guys to resume their careers. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, and it just, I guess it depends how, how quick that, that process takes place. Um, but I, I think even to just like from a Philly perspective where you're, I mean, year one of your announced rebuild and you want to stay away from, you want to stay from any kind of drama, controversy, negativity, all that, you know, even, even if it did get, you know, settled or whatever it is, I, I just don't really see a way that he, he's welcome back with the team. So again, yeah, just wild that this is how, how it ends there. But I think from, if, if, if the Flyers are going to go that route with a guy like Carter Hart, I would imagine the other teams go oh, around with those players as well. And then no doubt that. about it. And I mean, just quickly on Philly, um, I mean, it seems to have completely derailed their season as well. I mean, you know, I mean, like they've lost five in a row since that has happened. And I think they're still positive on Urson and the break's probably coming at a good time for them right now. Um, but they were really um, taken on water there at the end. And and I can understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, they, it was it was similar to the Jets, I think, too. Like they they might be the two teams in biggest need of that break. Um, because, I mean, both were dealing with injuries and scheduling. The, I mean, the schedule was just insane. Um, you know, you kind of wonder, is, is the NHL bye week worth it if you're going to cram so many games in there that guys are getting hurt all over the place and the product isn't very good? Like, that, that's a different discussion there. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just getting hit with everything all at once if you're Philadelphia. And, I, yeah, I, it's fair to wonder if it's like, okay, you know, the clock hit midnight here and it's back to being a pumpkin with, with Philadelphia. But... You know, it their start was just kind of like found money this year, right? Like there was no intention of, of competing for a playoff spot, right? If it yeah. happened, it happened great. If anything, it, it you know, in a in a weird way, it might be the best possible thing long term for the team where it's like, okay, you know, what what whatever they were thinking before that, it's like a splash of reality. Let's make sure we get some some assets for, you know, guys that might be heading to free agency, whatever it might be. And the dose of reality is we're nowhere near being where we need to be. And so it's no doubt seller time as opposed to before where there might have been a little bit. Of yeah, debate. for a team for a team in, in that in the Flyers position, I mean, you wouldn't want to, you know, 
add somebody or not trade a few guys, make a big run, and then finish just short and be picking 16th or 15th in the draft. Not a great spot to be in. Uh, listen, I'll get, let you get back to the footy and the boxes. <laughs> uh, good luck over the next few days, buddy. We'll uh, talk to you next week when we're back at it. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys. We'll talk soon. There's Brandon Rewicki. Subscribe to Skates and Plates wherever you get your favorite podcasts for the latest on the Jets and more from Brandon and Tyson Rewicki. Uh, all right. This is going to be fun. Hooking up with the uh, man. I'm excited for baseball season. Hooking up with the new manager of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. And I'll tell you what, uh, we've been enjoying Little Brown Jug at the arena this year, now at the stadium as well. But I will say this, of all our sports venues, there's nowhere that a generic lager or a 1919 tastes better than the ballpark. And the Gold Eyes are uh, coming back next season with the new manager. We'll talk to him in a minute. Um, but, of course, um, at all venues now, Little Brown Jug's an official partner with all the teams. Uh, when we're back at the rink next week for the Penguins game, you can check out Craft Beer Corner upstairs in 310, downstairs in 126, and get both Little Brown Jug flagship brands, 1919 and Generic Lager. And right now, at your favorite local beer store, Generic Lager on sale, 1999 for eight packs right now. Pick it up, my personal favorite Great, light, refreshing. Closest thing, if you're a domestic beer drinker, that you'll find in the craft type. And it's 100% local from our friends at Little Brown Jug. Find out more online at littlebrownjug.ca about everything they've got going on, not to mention local delivery options as well. Hey, a big shout-out to our friends at Royal Sports as well. Super Bowl coming up a week Sunday. I know there'll be a run on uh, everything remaining. Niners and Chiefs in time for the big game. And whoever wins, you know who I'm pulling for? Super Bowl championship gear shortly thereafterwards at Royal Sports because they are the number one sports superstore in town. Whether you're looking for Jets, Bombers, NFL, Raptors, and NBA, Major League Baseball with the season just around the corner, they've got it all for you there. The best hockey section in town. Skates to hit the ODR or the river as well. Some lesser expensive, more casual or beginner skates. Snowboards, boots, bindings. It's all there at Royal Sports. Pop down and see them. 750 Pemina Highway. And follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. We're going to uh, check in with our friends at Sport Manitoba in a few minutes. But right now, let's welcome in Logan Watkins, new manager of the Fish on WST. Logan, congratulations on uh, coming to the peg and being the new skipper of the fish. How are you? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm excited to get there. Um, I'm doing really well. It's been it's been a fun off season trying to uh, kind of get this roster kind of rebuilt and hopefully give the fans a, a team they're excited about watching. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a real exciting. I mean, fans are already excited. I mean, a big big addition to the ballpark with the brand new scoreboard, which I think is going to just. Um, completely revolutionized the, the game day experience there and um, some great additions to the ballpark. But uh, again, it's uh, about the squad. It was a down year for the Gold Eyes and uh, a great new beginning with you as the manager. Um, you're a young man, just 34 years old. I think people seeing you for the first time would be like, geez, that's uh, that's young for a manager. But you've basically been baseball uh, in baseball your entire life and it seems like you didn't take very much time moving on from uh, an extended minor league and major league career, getting right into uh, a managerial role. Yeah, I, uh, 
I guess I am pretty young. I don't feel young. Uh, still kind of wake up with a sore back. That might be from playing baseball. I still get carded sometimes when I buy some beer somewhere or something. So that's, that's uh, I guess, some, somewhat of a compliment. But, yeah, as far as baseball goes, I've been in pro ball since I was 18 years old. So that, I guess that is, what, 16 years now, 17 years, something like that. So um, both as a player and now a coach. Uh, so, yeah, I guess you can say I've been around a little bit. I've um, – I've started to realize, especially like trying to find players for this team, um, how important my experience is just as far as knowing other coaches and knowing other players somewhere. So if you find a player, you can kind of look at where they've been and who they've played with, and you can kind of form connections seeing their former teammates and guys that I know. And so that's how we found quite a few guys just kind of going through other coaches and other players. And it's, uh, it's starting to pay off slowly, but surely this team's starting to get put together. You know, I would imagine, um, you know, especially, and, you know, people talk about today's athletes, and I'm sure they've been always saying that, you know, as people change over decades and generations. But I would imagine there's a unique opportunity for you being a younger manager, one that, you know, finished playing not too long ago, to connect with younger players, but also, you know, being involved with, you know, some greats through your playing career with a bit of an old school background and give you know, a combination of the two, which uh, will hopefully be great, uh, you know, for the club. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably, I'm probably one of those people that kind of went through the era of old school baseball into the analytics world. Like I came up with the Cubs organization and uh, I think maybe my sixth year there, uh, Theo Epstein took over as the general manager and brought a completely different approach that Boston was using. That's more analytic based and, you know, stuff like that. So, then I got to play a few years in that kind of mindset of that of the organization transitioning to that mindset. So I've kind of seen both. And then um, I think I more so just value just the relationships you build with people. And I think that um, that goes a long ways as far as when you manage, you know, 25 men in a clubhouse feeling like, you know, you have a relationship with each one individually or you've built some sort of, uh, respect for each other. I think that is ultimately how, you know, a clubhouse performs its best and the vibe is good and everyone wants to come to work every day. And I think those teams that have that, I think are the ones that end up being pretty successful. You know, it's like any job. I mean, if you're having fun going to work, I mean, it makes that day better, but at the end of the day in professional sports, winning is what makes it fun. And uh, you got to find that right mix to, uh, to get the wins. How would you describe your, baseball philosophy if you will um you know i think my approach when it comes to at least managing this team it's more so get your work done right now so i i've been i don't take days off from this i'm trying to find the right players i mean there's plenty of guys that are willing to sign to play with winnipeg but the uh the hard part is kind of filtering through and finding the guys that make sense for us and that um you know, have a good blend of experience, uh, have a good, you know, blend of um, still hungry to play the game and not maybe on their last year with one foot out the door. Cause I mean, it's independent balls is a lot of fun, but it can be a grind too. Cause our, our road trips from Winnipeg aren't, uh, aren't the easiest all the time. So if you have a guy that's only kind of halfway committed, it can be easy for that kind of guy to check out on you. So um, kind of just, like I said, kind of filtering through with all the players that have, either I've come across or have reached out to us and finding those right guys. 
And then, and then at the end of the day, once the season starts, just get out of their way and let them play. Um, I'm not someone that tries to overmanage a game. Uh, I, I feel like, um, a lot of these guys are here because I wanted them to be here and I, I know what kind of players they are and I want them to just be free to be able, be able to be those players. So, um, I, I would say as far as baseball goes, just kind of being hands off once the season starts and more aggressive approach right now. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's funny because during the season we'll be talking about the, the, the ins and outs of the day to day grind and the games, but this part of the calendar probably is as important as uh, the season when you're putting this team together. What's that been like for you? It's, it's really fun. So this is the, this is probably the part of the job I love the most is, is searching for players. And, um, and then, you know, the, the most humbling part of it is you find a player you get really excited about and you reach out to them and they say, yeah, man, sir, I'm interested in independent baseball. And so then, Oh man, that's a little deflating and back to, okay, who's next? Um, but kind of that thrill of the hunt is what is a lot of fun for me and kind of roster construction. And then obviously you find a player that wants to play for you and then it's managing your salary cap and negotiating salary with them. So there's a lot that goes into building the rosters. I mean, we could, if, if there was no salary cap restriction, we could get a bunch of, you know, good veteran experienced players on a team. But I mean, everyone knows, especially in this league, there's a rookie requirement. You have to have a certain number of rookies on your team, and then you can only have a, a certain number of veterans on your team. So kind of filling in that that gap in between um, is difficult, but it's it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I've, I spend more time on baseball reference than, you know, any other site. You know, I'm, I'm constantly – someone someone tells me, hey, I got a pitcher for you. What's his name? I'll look him up, and I'll have a pretty good idea of what he is and how he plays uh, – pretty quick so that's been a good modern luxury for me but um and then our coaching staff does a pretty good job as far as you know they know people as well so if we hear a name hey do you know this and this he played in the Dodgers organization yeah I know someone over there I can ask about him so um it's a collaborative effort and we're, we're doing uh we're doing our best to make sure we have a good team by the time opening day comes you've been involved in the league for a few years as a player and then a coach. How would you describe where the league is at right now? Because it certainly seems like, you know, on a year by year basis, the talent level, even if the rookies is getting better. Yeah, I think you find um, it's kind of a fallout from affiliated baseball. So after COVID, you know, there's fewer teams in affiliated baseball, so there's less jobs. So those guys that typically occupy those jobs need a place to play and they're, they're kind of finding their way to independent baseball. At the same time, Mexico this year, who everyone knows, um, pays more than what we do in independent baseball. Uh, but everyone knows that that's the place to go if you want to make money. So I think you're going to find that we're getting a lot of probably better younger guys kind of filter into our league. But some of the older guys that have kind of been staples in our league and been here for two or three years and kind of know that you know, my window to get back to the big leagues is pretty much shut. They're probably going to find their way moving down to Mexico to make a little bit more money before they decide to hang them up. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see uh, how roster construction gets done throughout the league this year. But in terms of the last few years, I think the league has been as competitive as, as it's ever been. There wasn't, I mean, even Winnipeg last year being towards the bottom of the standings, uh, I know we played them. I think we maybe split with them when we came to Winnipeg, but um uh, that's still not just a, we show up in Winnipeg and we win every game of that series. It's every, every game is a, 
is a fight. And I think that's why you saw most teams' records last year kind of right around 500. Nobody really ran away and nobody really fell off. Uh, new Gold Eyes manager Logan Watkins with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, you mentioned coming here before. I mean, you spent three years in Cleburne as the manager. You played here as a Wichita wingnut. Um, what do you remember about Winnipeg, and how did that maybe influence you um, being interested in the job? And tell us about getting it. Um, actually, I had a I had a funny experience in Winnipeg, um, and just as a player, and nobody would remember this but me. But I remember we we beat the Gold Eyes when I was with Wichita. It, it must have been like fifteen to one. And I hit lead off that year, and uh, I think I was like 0 for 6. And everybody else in the dugout was just having a hell of a time. Where everyone's scoring runs, hitting home runs, getting hits. And uh, I, I didn't – I wasn't a part of the party, but we won the game, so I was happy. But the next day I came back and was like 5 for 6. So I, I evened it out. But I, I do remember kind of riding that roller coaster a little bit, and that was in Winnipeg. But um, as far as an opposing manager, I – I, I love coming to Winnipeg. Obviously, being down in Cleburne, I'm I'm coming from Texas, so that's that's a good twenty plus hour bus trip. So that part wasn't something I was looking forward to. But uh, finally, getting to Winnipeg, uh, the team hotel, the downtown Radisson's awesome. Kind of walk into the park when the weather's nice enough is is great. There's a, a lot of good restaurants and everything on the way there and on the way back if you want to stop in to get something to eat. And then the fan experience has always been great. I, I don't think I've been to Winnipeg or been there for a game where uh, the stadium wasn't pretty full and the fans were really engaged in the game. So, um, and then obviously a beautiful stadium uh, backdrop is awesome. Uh, it's really, it's really, if you're going to play independent baseball, it should be one of the premier locations you're looking to play at. Yeah. We've certainly heard that, you know, from players and people that have been here as well as visitors, how much they enjoy the trip to Winnipeg. And I'm sure that um, is uh, a positive when it comes to uh, recruiting players. Um, Logan, I have to ask you about, um, you know, uh, cracking into the bigs. You mentioned you spent the majority of your time in the Cubs organization, got into 58 games. What was it like getting that call up and uh, getting your first major league game in at bat? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was actually one of those kids that grew up. I played every sport, so it wasn't like my childhood dream to play in the major leagues. But um, once I got drafted, that became my dream, and it was – the best part of it was I got drafted by the Cubs and I knew um, I knew that my scout that had pushed to get me drafted. Um, I think he, I, I remember him saying like, yeah, I, we're rolling the dice on you. And I, I got paid a decent amount of money to come out of high school, but I don't think maybe everybody was thinking I was going to be in the big league. So to finally get there, especially with that organization and kind of prove him, him right. And maybe a few people wrong. Uh, meant a lot to me and that's probably what motivated me to you know just push every day to try to get there and then um yeah I mean my I got called up uh on a Saturday night in or Saturday evening in Tacoma Washington flew to Chicago and played in a Sunday day game at Wrigley Field for my debut so um I think when you write it up it doesn't get much better than that um how you know now that you're a manager and you know drafted coming out of high school making that long climb, cracking a major league roster, playing there for a couple years, but then also playing in independent baseball and now managing for a few years. How, how has all of that helped you um, to hopefully move forward with a long, successful career as a manager um, beginning, well, with this season in particular right here when your first year with Winnipeg? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my life experience has been um, 
has, has taught me a lot. And may, I think that's what kind of lets me to relate to other players because a lot of times guys find themselves in independent baseball because maybe they're, you know, they had one bad year that they got released and it just, you know, they, they kind of dug a hole they couldn't get out of or they got hurt, which I did uh, in 2015. I tore my Achilles and missed the whole year. Um, went back to AAA in 2016. So, which is the year the Cubs won the World Series. So I just missed the World Series with the Cubs, uh, which is kind of hard to wrap my mind around sometimes, just barely missing that. But um, but my life experiences, I feel like, have kind of prepared me and led me to where I am. And I'm fortunate to be here at a young age. Uh, obviously, like we mentioned, 34 years old. I, I think I'm the youngest manager in the league by quite a bit. Um, but again, I've been my, – my professional baseball experience – regardless of what my age is, my professional baseball experience can't be, you know, overlooked. I, I've been, I've been around, you know, I've played with the Chris Bryants and the Javi Baez's of the world. I've been around great players. I've seen what greatness looks like. I've seen what, you know, guys that have unbelievable work ethics, what that can, what that can lead into, um, you know, just kind of, I've been around it and I've seen it all. I've been around great coaches. So, uh, I bring a, I bring a lot. I feel like as far as being able to help guys, at least, um, you know, obviously the young guys that come play independent baseball are super excited to be there and they're hoping they get a chance, maybe get to affiliated baseball. Um, and then there's those guys that are coming to affiliated or coming from affiliated baseball that maybe feel a little dejected because they feel like they're going in the wrong direction. And I've been there too. So, um, it's just kind of relating to both those guys and being able to help them get to where they want to get to. Logan, tell us about um, the connection with Winnipeg, I presumably with Andrew and Sam, um, uh, and how it all came together that uh, you got the offer and um, your mindset in uh, saying, yeah, I want to be the manager here in Winnipeg with the Gold Eyes. Yeah, so being with Cleburne the last three years, the owner that was with Cleburne uh, sold the team to new ownership, and uh, the new ownership obviously wanted to bring in their uh, their own people, their own coaching staff, front office guys, so it kind of left me looking for a job and um, the previous owner with Cleburne, I think maybe thought that they were going to keep me around in Cleburne. I think he was disappointed to hear that they didn't retain me. Uh, and so he knew maybe a few teams in our league that were going to be possibly looking for managers. And so he made the call for me, Sam called me and uh, I guess you would say the rest is history. I, I had a couple phone calls with Sam. I think he, he understood that, you know, the situation in Cleburne maybe left me with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because we'd just been to the playoffs three years in a row. And I felt like, you know, I was building kind of a younger team that I was going to have come back. And uh, I think maybe he could tell that that fire was kind of lit in me and that maybe that's maybe I guess maybe that's what he was looking for to bring to Winnipeg. Well, I have a feeling he was considering, I mean, it was a down year for the Gold Eyes based on their uh, standards. I mean, this team has been competitive year in and year out after the uh, the long run of Rick Forney and uh, looking forward to starting a uh, a new Gold Eyes chapter with you as the skipper going forward. Um, how much more prepared do you think you are as a manager knowing now what you probably didn't know three years ago having had the experience in the league and the success that you had with the Railroaders? Um, yeah, I mean... I've learned a lot these last three years. The biggest thing for me when I took over was managing a pitching staff because being a position player as a player, that was never anything I kind of really even paid attention to. Um, but once I kind of got the hang of that, but I, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at, at delegating responsibilities to my assistant coaches and trusting that, you know, we, we hired them to do their job, let them do their job. And 
if they're not doing their job, that's fairly easy for me to see. And then we can address that. But, um, you know, I very, very rarely will you see me down the line working with the pitcher on his curveball. I mean, I'll let my pitching coach do that. And then hitting wise, I think we have a really good uh, hitting coach this year and Adam Donahue, who's going to do a great job. And that's obviously where I guess you would say my expertise probably would be. Um, but again, there's a fine line of jumping in there and trying to correct your hitting coach's work. I, I want him to feel like he's, he's, you know, doing his job with every player we have. And then when I'm needed, I'll be there. My job is to make this roster as strong as it possibly can. Um, don't take days off from, from finding players, like even during the season, because uh, guys get injured, guys get picked up, guys go to Mexico all the time. And if you've completely cut off, communication with some good players that might be available, then all of a sudden you're scrambling and you're picking up guys that you don't really want to have on your team, but there's nobody else. So uh, I think that's kind of what I've learned more is just kind of always be prepared for the worst when it comes, comes to like your roster uh, construction and then keeping the clubhouse happy. Cause that's ultimately how, uh, how good teams win is when the vibes are good. New Gold Eyes manager Logan Watkins with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. So when are we going to see you up here in the peg? It's gorgeous outside right now, which I not usually the case in late January. Yeah, I got to get out there. I uh, obviously I've been there. My wife wants to come out and see um, see uh, you know where I'm going to be living. She's going to come visit a few times this year. I'm sure we have a four year old and a two year old, so travel is not always the easiest. Yeah, uh, so. Uh, we'll probably get up there in the next month or two just to – I can show her everything, and I'll probably bring up some, some luggage and stuff that I'll probably leave there just to be waiting for me when we get there for the season. Um, but I'm excited. I, I I really feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. I feel like we've done a we've, – we've left no stone unturned as far as finding players, and slowly but surely it's starting to piece together to what we want it to uh, look like. And um, – I I am extremely motivated to not only for myself to win this year, but I know the fans and the organization in Winnipeg, you know, last year has got them maybe as motivated as they've ever been to get back to where they know they should be. And, and that's, you know, competing for a championship. Uh, no, it's a, a really exciting hire and uh, an exciting new chapter of Gold Eyes Baseball. And uh, in addition with everything that's happened at the ballpark over the offseason, season. Uh, Cannot wait to get out there and uh, see you and the fellas do their thing when uh, the season begins. Uh, again, go to goldeyes.com for more information on the upcoming season. Um, obviously, the new scoreboard, ticket packages, uh, the new patio, uh, all there. Um, but we will look forward to uh, talking to you again, I'm sure, multiple times throughout the season, Logan, and uh, welcoming you to Winnipeg and wishing you luck in your new chapter with the Winnipeg Goldeyes. Thanks for doing this and can't wait to see you in the peg as we get closer to baseball season. Yeah, absolutely. Give me a shout anytime. Ah, great stuff with Logan. Cannot wait for Goldeyes season. I'll have to check in with the cash man, Andrew Collier, coming up in the next uh, few weeks to look ahead to the season as well. And Obviously, when they start announcing players, we'll get Logan back on to talk about the squad. And hey, speaking of things getting warmer, although it is freaking gorgeous out right now, um, summer involves baseball, and it will also involve getting out on the water. And I am already fired up to get back to Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. If you are thinking about a world-class fly-in fishing getaway with friends and family, fishing pals, uh, or maybe 
as part of a corporate retreat. There is nowhere better than Aikens. You can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg. And as incredible as the fishing is, the hospitality of the Terrens and the Aikens team is even better. Go to AikensLake.com to connect with them on availability for the 2024 fishing season. And if you want to find out more, in addition to the website, check out everything they've got going on on Instagram and X at Aikens Lake. And uh, eight, one last night for, for hockey tonight. We'll get to the lines in the uh, Kubat lines at the end of the program. But uh, three games on the tube tonight. Might be a good time to pop by your local Boston pizza to get your uh, hockey fix before the league goes dark for the All-Star festivities on the weekend. Uh, not that you really need to have your arm twisted to go to BP to enjoy ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and more. Make it a BP night. And hey, if you're staying at home, you can always get the great taste of Boston pizza by ordering online at bostonpizza.com. Now, I did screw up the dates today, folks. I don't know why. I haven't known what day it has been all week long. I mentioned we were going to be doing our Sport Manitoba segment. That's, in fact, on Thursday. But right now, we've got an... Uh, uh, this is going to be really fun because a great friend of the program, 37 years at the Regina Leader Post, now following the footsteps of our great friend Ed Tate in a similar role with the Riders, but just could not get the writing out of the system. He's got a new book called Brave Face, Wild Tales of Hockey Goaltenders in the Era Before Masks. It's great to welcome in from Regina, Rob Vanstone. And look at this beautiful backdrop you've got there for us, Rob, today. What's up? Yeah, I figured with this face, I better make sure I counteract that with a nice backdrop. And uh, I love the setting here, well, every day, but especially when I consider that the Winnipeg Jets, my beloved Winnipeg Jets, are and may forever be undefeated at this very facility, having edged the Calgary Flames 2-1 in overtime in the Heritage Classic on October 26th, 2019. Thank you, Ryan. Brian Little for the overtime goal. So this is, and the Jets were the home team that night, so... This is uh, welcome to the home of the Winnipeg Jets you and the Saskatchewan funny, Rough Riders. It's funny you bring up that Heritage Classic just for a second. Um, obviously, Brian Little, I mean, an all-time great Jet, a, fa- a favorite that we'll always remember with one of the most memorable goals, certainly in regular season history. Um, but you know what's funny from a football side of things? That was such a such a great weekend with Calgary and Winnipeg fans meeting in the middle in Regina for that game. And I will always remember the night before when we were in town was the Bombers-Calgary game, Zach Caleros' first game as a Bomber, the start going into the playoffs. And if you recall, that was that bananas play at the end where he ran around and hit Darvin Adams in the back of the end zone. Yeah, the back right of the end zone. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a highlight that still gets played. I don't think people remember the fact that that was his first game and at that point we were I mean the acquisition of Caleros at the time was sort of like oh, a little bit of an insurance and all of a sudden holy smokes like and of course magic happened ever since then so um, certainly great memories for a lot of Jet fans and uh, even Bomber fans that were there uh, that week but let's talk hockey right now and I know you are, as you mentioned, a devoted Winnipeg Jets fan. There's some really neat Jets content in this book, which we'll get to in a minute. But just first off, tell us about writing a book 
about maskless goalies. Um, you know, it, it, it is amazing. Like, I didn't even realize that there were some goalies playing without a mask in pro hockey in my lifetime, but it's actually later than a lot of people think. But tell us how the idea came about and uh, and the project. Well, even remember, it's happened accidentally. Connor Hellebuck got his mask knocked off not too long ago, ended up surrendering a goal maskless. Uh, but it has to happen in accidental fashion now, uh, whereas once upon a time it was just commonplace up until the late 1950s for every goalie not to wear a mask. And I started following hockey sports in general in the early 70s. And I remember it was hockey night in Canada and Boston was playing and they zoomed in on Jerry Cheevers, the first hockey game I'd ever watched. They zoomed in on his stitches mask. And I was, as a seven-year-old, I was fascinated by his mask with the stitches painted on. Not long after that, they showed a game with the Minnesota North Stars and there was Gump Worsley without a mask. And I could not believe that somebody would not wear a mask playing professional hockey. And suddenly I realized, hey, Joe Daly doesn't have a mask. And I just, as a kid, I could not believe that this could happen, especially when there's people like Bobby Hull and Dennis Hull <laughs> running around Mickey Redmond uh, blasting shots at these, at these goalies. And so what happened years and years and years later was during the pandemic, I was at the Regina Leader Post and there's no sports and I'm a sports writer. Talk about obsolete. And our editors at the time said, look, if there's ever something you've always wanted to write, if there's a bucket list item that you'd love to do, now's the time. You're a sports writer without sports. Come up with something. So I decided to do kind of a weekend takeout on maskless goalies. And about two or three interviews into the project, uh, it was like, oh, this is so cool. I wanted to, I wanted to try and kind of turn it into a book. So I contacted the amazing people that should try out books in Chicago and uh, pitched it to them. And they were great, have been great ever since. And I just went absolutely haywire writing about maskless goalies and scratching this itch that I'd had for more than – more than 50 years at the time. I could babble on forever about it, as you've probably gathered by now. You mentioned uh, Heli, uh, our guy, uh, seven more years, and uh, hopefully another Vesna and uh, the trophy that he really wants to get the Stanley Cup. Um, but you know, you mentioned that Hellebuck story in the prologue of the uh, of the book. It's actually funny. I had the book written, pretty much done, and then that happened, and I thought. I got to get this in. So I contacted <laughs> Michelle Bruton at, uh, at, uh, at Triumph Books in Chicago and said, uh, Michelle, this is too good. Can I, re- can, I say, can I revise the prologue? So it originally didn't begin with that, but just in time, uh, there was that uh, fateful shot against Helly, and, uh, and I, had to, I had to squeeze it in. And, and thank you, Michelle, again, for being so accommodating, especially now that I get to talk about it to a Jets audience. You know, one of the other things, and, you know, this is in the foreword, but also in a chapter devoted to him. Um, like, I, I remember as a, as, as, a, as a young kid, I mean, I really didn't sort of get to understand, like, I guess I'd heard of the Jets when I was really, really young, but I was too young to appreciate the, the WHA championships. Um, but, you know, as you get older and the Jets are in the NHL, you start learning more about Jets history, you're seeing pictures. And you know about the great Joe, Joe Daly. And now people visit him at the card shop over in St. Patel, along with uh, with his family. But I had no idea that Joe Daly played as a maskless goaltender. Um, you yeah. know, he is one of the featured uh, goal attenders in this. But fill us in a little bit on, uh, on goalie Joe 
and uh, and wearing the mask or not wearing the mask and then as as someone like me would remember him from the glory days of the WHA Winnipeg Jets eventually putting one on yeah I mean I remember getting a Joe Daly hockey card in in 1971 with uh, I think it was a they airbrushed a Detroit Red Wings uniform on him because he'd just gone from Buffalo to Detroit, so they had kind of Not a fake with Red, Red Wings. Wings. And <laughs> that's long before Photoshop. And uh, uh, he was one of the first goalies that really stood out because I suddenly okay, Gump Warsley doesn't wear a mask, Joe Daly doesn't wear a mask, and then hard to believe in the early '70s, even though mask the trajectory as far as maskless goalies was basically they're decreasing, um, they. Uh, the, the number of maskless goalies increased because Andy Brown was called up by the Red Wings from the Fort Worth Red Wings, from the Fort Worth Wings. Suddenly there were three maskless goalies in the NHL as opposed to two, Joe Daly being one of the last holdouts. And he uh, ended up becoming an original Winnipeg Jet. Uh, so did a longtime NHL goaltender named Ernie Wakely. And it was actually, Ernie was in his early 30s then. It was actually at Ernie's behest or urging that Joe, D- Joe Daly decided to wear a mask. Joe told me that, you know, Ernie realized he was getting older. He didn't have it up to have it in him to play 60 or 70 games. He said, look, I'm going to need a breather. If you're going to be the other guy, I want you to play. I don't you want I don't want you to get hurt because you're not wearing a mask and get hit in the head. So it was Ernie Wakely, who had been a maskless goalie himself at one point, who said to Joe Daly, uh, wear a mask. The, one of the funny stories that Joe, to, Joe told me, one of the many, I've got to go to that store next time I'm in, in Winnipeg, um, was that, he said he'd never lost any teeth. He'd been pretty much unscathed as a maskless goalie. But then he goes back to Weyburn. He played for the Weyburn Red Wings of the, of the old Saskatchewan Junior, or the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League before ascending to the pros. He went back to Weyburn for like an alumni game or an exhibition game or some kind of fun game and got hit in the mouth and lost some teeth in, an, in a fun game, whereas he's facing, you know, Bobby Hall and he still has that perfect smile. Like, <laughs> what are the odds, right? You know, we, we and even to this day, <clears throat> we still talk about how goalies are generally weird. Um, but, I mean, back then, it just seems like we're flat-out psychos. I mean, putting themselves on the line without those masks. A big part of it is the invention of the mask, how it happened. And, I mean, all of this, uh, I mean, basically comes down to some hard rubber right in the grill that uh, made a lot of guys think, otherwise about uh, going out unprotected yeah you know and gradually though it didn't exactly happen right away eddie johnston i love talking to eddie johnston and he said i asked him about you know why he didn't wear a mask and he said well i wore number one and that was also my iq <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh you know I mean, but i mean it was like nobody wore helmets back then you know Football players didn't have face guards until the late 40s, early 50s. There were leather helmets. Everything evolves, and as the game evolved, the curved sticks arrived. The better stick technology arrived. Um, um, the boomers started coming. Boom, boom, Jeffrey on. Andy Bathgate could really fire the puck. You got Bobby Hall in the late 50s, etc. So as, as the pucks became more dangerous and the shots became more dangerous, hence the need for uh, masks. But, you know, Jock Plant got plunked in the head by Andy Bathgate, uh, intentionally, as it turned out, on, on November 1st, 1959, at Madison Square Garden. Jacques had to go to the training room for stitches, refused to re-enter the game without a mask. Eventually, Toll Blake realized, especially in the day before backup goalies, uh, it's either Jacques Plant or the trainer that ends up playing goals. So Jacques went back into net, finished the game. Canadians won 
continued to go on what turned out to be a 13-game unbeaten streak. And and once it was established that, you know, a goalie could play without a mask, he, it wasn't going to impede his vision. It wasn't going to make him tougher to see pucks at his feet. I think that old myth started to disappear, but only gradually. Uh, I mean, by you still had goalies like Eddie Jockerman and Les Binkley not wearing masks until actually October 1st, 1970. They both wore masks for the first time that night. Glenn Hall in, was until, wasn't until 1968. And we've talked about, you know, Joe Daly, early 70s. We've talked about Gump Worsley until the 73-74 season. Andy Brown never did. Right through 1976, there was a great minor league goalie named Gay Cooley, Chapter 16, he's awesome, um, who didn't wear a mask for a decade in the, in the minors, etc. cetera. And, uh, but for, for a while, it was kind of like all they knew. They didn't know how to play the game any differently. It's tougher to put the mask on when you haven't had one than it is when you've just gone right through minor hockey uh, not wearing one. And job security wasn't, was pretty precarious back then, too. There was only six teams in the NHL, no backup goalies, so there's six jobs in the entire world of that description. So you don't want to lose your job. So uh, you think, well, if I lose even one one hundredth of an edge by putting a mask on, I might not, I might be in the minors next year and good luck in Tidewater. Interesting. Or Hershey. Or Interesting right? way, of, so, uh, way of putting it. Uh, you know, the one line that just cracked me up coming about this is from the, uh, the Gump Worsley chapter. My face is my mask. It's the, uh, <laughs> it's the title of it. And uh, it just goes to show the the mindset of some of these guys of, now, we talk a lot about how tough hockey players are. Uh, there's not much tougher than putting your face in front of a <laughs> vulcanized rubber shot of a professional hockey player. No, you're, I mean, you're basically a paid javelin catcher. I mean, it's, a, it's such a, you know, Gump was afraid of flying. And, you know, statistically, what is more probable, uh, you know, getting injured or killed in a plane crash or getting injured by a flying puck when you're playing goal without a mask. The more dangerous thing would be to play goal without a mask. But he didn't even blink at not wear at, at the thought of uh, uh, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. But he was terrified to go on planes. And here it's interesting. He was talked into wearing a mask by Cesar Maniago, who was his teammate with the Minnesota North Stars. And and uh, Cesar had started wearing a mask into the mid '60s, kind of here and there. And for a while, when he started wearing a mask, he would only wear it against Chicago because the Hall brothers, Stan Makita, Kenny Warm, etc. So he would only wear the mask against Chicago. And then he started wearing it against everybody else. he needed it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, <laughs> There's so many goofy things like that. I could prattle on forever about them. Um, uh, what uh, Fill people in on where they can find the book, how they pick it up. Uh, Triumph Books website, triumphbooks.com. Uh, my favorite publisher to deal with of all time. They're amazing. Uh, it's also on Amazon. It's at Indigo, all good booksellers. And there's a few in my trunk if you happen to run into me. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love, uh, I'd be thrilled if anybody were to pick it up. It's, it's, it was such a joy to write something that fascinated me as a kid. And suddenly I'm on the phone talking to Bernie Perrant, Glenn Hall, uh, Jerry Cheevers, you know, Eddie Johnston. And the, the, the funnest as fun as anything was talking about the talking Joe Daly talking to the goalies that really haven't been as well known Gay Cooley uh Russ Gillow uh Ian Young uh Wayne Rutledge uh 
His his wife Sharon was was amazing. Uh, some of the less Bob Peril, some of the lesser known goalies had really interesting stories to tell, and and they were fresher stories because they really hadn't been told in any depth before. And and that was one of the really cool parts about the book uh, too. If uh, if nothing else, go to chapter sixteen and read about Gay Cooley. He's a book in himself. What a great guy. Uh, Chico Resch does the foreword. There's a prologue involving Connor Hellebuck. A chapter on Joe Daly from Winnipeg Jets history. Uh, it's Brave Face, Wild Tales of Hockey Goaltenders in the Era Before Mass. Pick that up. Hey, Rob, before we go, uh, of course, you're there at Mosaic. Uh, big news today with the Bombers. Chris Strevler's coming back to the blue and gold. Everyone fired up about that. Um, what do you expect? How crazy could free agency be in a couple of weeks when uh, things get going? Well, it's, you know, Ever since the one-year contracts became in vogue, it just became... Crazy. I mean, so people make so much about the NHL trade deadline and the NHL free agent frenzy, but that's generally a lot of B-listers moving from place to place. Uh, you're getting marquee players, and if you look in, at your market, you're talking about Brady Oliveira, <laughs> Dalton Schoen, and you know Jackson Jeffcoat. Uh, I mean, honestly, that that is going to be so intriguing to see where some of the frontline Bombers players go, and uh, it's going to be and and now with the Bombers signing Chris Strebler, I presume that wasn't inexpensive. So how does that affect their negotiations with players they want to re-up? Or uh, how does that affect the cash salary cap room they're going to have once the free agency uh, uh, window opens? So the Bombers are such an in- intriguing team. And, and obviously the Rough Riders here are intriguing to everybody across the country, it seems. And, and uh, I'm as curious as anybody about how that is going to go and you know what... Uh, because everybody in the West has been chasing Winnipeg for a number of years now, and we're starting to see the signs that maybe the Bombers have some assets that might end up elsewhere. So where do those Bombers go? That is a fascinating, one of many fascinating aspects to free agency coming up. The window opens on Sunday at 11 a.m. our time and your time. Yeah, needless to say, uh, we'll be all over that. And uh, there are some nervous Bomber fans to see uh, many of these guys from uh, just this incredible run of four straight Western Division championships involving two Grey Cup wins uh, as to whether they'll be able to keep some of these guys that were a big part of last year's team. Rob, great stuff. We'll need to do this again, maybe uh, talking a little bit more CFL. But in the meantime, congratulations on the book. I'm just getting into it. I've really enjoyed what I've read so far. And gang, if you're into old-time hockey, as they say, and uh, old-time hockey stories, um, Brave Face is something I think you'll really, really enjoy. Rob, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks so much, Huss. It's an honor to be on your show and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Take care. All all the best. There's uh, Rob Vanstone out in Regina. This is... uh, is a really, really fun read, gang. Um, I'm getting into it. I made a point of jumping straight to the Joe Daly, but uh, there's a lot of neat stuff, a lot of great stories, and uh, Rob's an incredible writer, so highly, highly recommended. Um, all right, we're getting into the cool bet lines before the end of the show. Um, I did mention, everybody, that this event we're having with the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame is going to be going out uh, that we'll announce it tomorrow. Well, I've just, I've gotten the link. Um, so tonight we will send something out on the, uh, with uh, to everyone that signed up for the newsletter. So if you, if you haven't already, this is a great time. Go to Winnipeg. What do they do? They go to winnipegsports.com, Remus, and sign up there? Winnipegsportstalk.com. Uh, scroll down to the bottom uh, and it'll, there's a, 
form that you can just put your email. There's a, there's a link there. Now, okay. this event, it's going to be a special whiskey tasting. We'll have details in, uh, in, in the event, but um, with the uh, Canadian Club ambassador, Tish, who's been there since uh, for, I believe, 36 years. So we're going to learn a lot about it. Uh, we'll try a number of different of the uh, of the whiskeys there. It's going to be um, the night of the Jets Dallas game on February 29th. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting around six o'clock. Uh, we'll be doing tastings beforehand. We'll have the game on a massive screen. Uh, we'll do more tastings at the intermission. Uh, I believe they're putting together your ticket includes a little personal charcuterie uh, put together by the folks at DeLuca's. But the bottom line on this is there's going to be less than 40 tickets available. Uh, it's 50 bucks all in, including everything there. We'll be there hosting. We'll watch the game. Um, you know, we'll probably be done the whiskey part of it by about the second period, but everyone's more than welcome to stick around and not watch it. So if you do, if you are interested in whiskey and want to throw a jersey on, come out at an incredible venue, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. Um, get in there. Look for the announcement today. I guess we can probably put the link out right now because we do have a live link um, that we've got for the event um, that we can uh, we can throw out there. I'll just grab it and I'll throw it in the chat. But the bottom line is don't wait on these tickets because... All of these Winnipeg Whiskey, Whiskey Club events uh, end up selling out very, very quickly. They've given us, because we're kind of doing it in conjunction with WST and Winnipeg Sport and uh, obviously our friends at Canadian Club, we wanted to do it. So I'm going to throw this in the chat right now. If you want to be the first one to jump on tickets before they're gone, here you go. So there's the link right now. We'll send it out to the newsletter tonight. We'll mention it to everybody on the show tomorrow. And I think in a very, very quick period of time, these are going to be gonzo. So hope to see you there. We've had a, This is a little bit different than some of our other or bigger events. It'll be a smaller, more intimate group. Um, but we can't wait. Should be a heck of a lot of fun. And again, it's on Thursday, February 29th at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. Details right in there. Jump on it. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, hanging out with you and see you there. But uh, get your tickets before they are gonzo. Um, all right, let's get to these cool bet lines for tonight. Let's see. What do we got here? We got three games in the NHL. And then that's it until the All-Star game and break. Ottawa Senators and Detroit Red Wings going at it in Detroit. Ottawa had a nice big comeback win at home against Nashville on the weekend. Um, Detroit, Detroit could really use these two points heading into the break. I do. I think I am leaning Detroit. And then Rivas, I don't even know what to think about this game. LA, a very, very slight road favorite. Why? I have no idea. They haven't beaten beating anybody lately against the Nashville Predators. Kings minus 111, Preds minus 105. This is an absolutely massive game for both teams. Todd McClellan might be coaching for his job. And the Preds being there at that spot with tied with L.A., but having played three more games, definitely could use a nice regulation win to move up two points on the Kings. This, to me, is the big one tonight on the schedule. 
Yeah, the other two games pretty mad. I mean, Sharks, Ducks, it's two bottom teams. The Senators, Red Wings, the line intrigues me. Money Puck has the Senators as a slight favorite, 53.3%, but the line here is towards the Red Wings, uh, minus 112. Um, so if you believe Money Puck, then maybe there's some value betting on the Senators, but I don't really trust their goaltending. I'm still taking Detroit. Yeah, I'm taking Detroit as well. Um <laughs> I don't trust Corpusello. They give up a ton of goals. I would go with the home teams here on the last game before the break. I mean, the Ducks playing the Sharks, who played last night with a 2 nothing win. I would certainly lean the Ducks there. This Kings-Preds, I don't know what's going to go happen here in this one. Um, Money Puck, again, has it as a coin flip. It's basically a pick em on the line. Uh, I think this is this must-win territory for the Kings. I'm not sure, but they're holding on to the wild card. They want to go into the break. On a positive, and I would lean here to go with big save Dave and goal. Maybe that causes you to go Nashville, but that's certainly baked into the line. I'm curious what we're going to see from the Kings. That game's at 630, uh, 6.30 Central time. So that's we'll have our eye on that one tonight as uh, one yeah. of three games. 6.07. I like the Wings over the Sens. I think I might make that the play of the day for cool bet. Uh, I like Nashville over the Kings. Or sorry, the Wings over the Sens, I should say, minus 112. Nashville over the Kings, minus 111. And I think I'm going to roll with the Sharks. Coming off their big win last night, I don't care about the fact that it's back-to-back. I care about home teams like St. Louis completely mailing it in heading into the break. And I think, you know, what San Jose did last night is going to kind of boost them to really finish strong. I don't trust Anaheim at all in this game. So if you're looking for a nice long shot tonight, one plus 157 on the Sharks. But I will direct you, we did put together a little partner parlay for the lock shop today. Taking the Red Wings on the money line to win in any fashion. The Predators to beat the Kings in any fashion. And we're going to take the Sharks on the puck line. So Sharks plus one and a half. Um, so essentially, if the Sharks lose by one, that's also a winner. When we put it in, it was plus 495. The guys have generously boosted it to plus 545. So that's there for you for the Lock Shop Partner Parlay. And as I said, I'm not forgetting about the Sharks. I am going to do a smaller amount on Wings, Nashville, and Sharks all to win that one you can get a plus 850. Um, we did the uh, Pebble Beach picks today in the lock shop. Patty's got some uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am specials as well there. So uh, you can get on that, but make sure you get your picks in today because they well tee off early. Although it's on the West Coast, um, never good to go. Oh, I want to get my picks in and down. The tournament's already started. So it's all there at Cool Bet. Quick update on the Super Bowl line. Uh, great time to get in on the Chiefs if you want them. Money line's up to plus 111 for Kansas City. San Francisco, the favorite, at minus 125. Kansas City, an underdog. Again, plus 111. Point spread is two. And the total points for the game is 47 and a half. They actually even have some Pro Bowl. Who will win the dodgeball semifinal? The, what? Yeah, dodgeball, the gridiron gauntlet, the move the chains winner, tug of war, closest to the pin, basically just even money or minus 115 on both sides for AFC and NFC. 
But there is, you can bet on the individuals in the highest precision passing competition score. Tua and CJ Stroud are four to one. Jalen Hurts plus 425. Geno Smith plus 450. Baker Mayfield and Gardner Minshew at five to one. So uh, that's all there at Cool Bet as well. We'll touch on tomorrow's going to be a big day. All of the NHL futures will be out once these games are over for tonight. So we'll let you know what the adjusted Winnipeg Jets odds are, and we'll spend a little bit more time doing that tomorrow and Friday in the Cool Bet lines. And again, use the promo code WST if you haven't played a Cool Bet before, and uh, you get a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks on your first deposit. Uh, good stuff today. People fired up about Strevy Ream and um, some nice hockey convos. Great to talk to the new coach of the uh, Gold Eyes. And it was a fun visit with uh, with uh, Rob Vanstone about his uh, book about the Maskell's goalies. That was a cool book, Brave Face. I'm sure a lot of uh, great stories in there. And, yeah, shout out to the Bombers for putting out the Streveler news uh, on a Wednesday during the Jets week off. Uh, well done. So got some good discussion on that. And they're going to introduce him to the media, and hopefully we can get him on here. We've been I texted Darren with the Bombers, and hopefully uh, the timing works out. That is the plan. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Ken's going to join us from uh, the beaches of Mexico. Billick's going to jump on. On Friday, Dennis Bayak and Murata Tesh. It should be great. And huge day tomorrow for local hoops. Bisons, Westman, Duckworth Challenge, our buddy Joey Slattery, who will be involved in the call of both games Going to be jumping on with us. And, uh, of course, a matchup of, uh, of course, Simon Hildebrand, who was the rookie star of the Seabears last year. And one of our favorites, Sean Moranin, who's the go-to guy for the U of W Westman. So we'll have Slats come on as well. And we will touch base with Sport Manitoba. Suzanne Dandino should be a great guest coming up on the program as well. Um, thanks for being with us, everybody. Don't forget, get those Whiskey Festival tickets. If you haven't already... I'm going to put it in one more time into the link. There it is for you. We'll send out the information in the newsletter tonight, uh, but don't wait on those because uh, we've only got just under 40 tickets to go, or actually more so like 30 tickets after some sponsor stuff is taken care of. So uh, let's see out there. Should be a real fun night with our friends at Canadian Club and the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame on February 29th. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Have a great night, everybody. Get outside. It's beautiful out there. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.